Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets Patreon Special Edition number 69. Ha, ha, ha. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined, as always, by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's time for round three of Titan Gate, the 92 version, not the 2022 version, although... I've already had people on Twitter telling me that they're they're wanting to request this week in ten years for the, sh- the 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 main show. So, oh, that's something I look forward to. But anyway, uh, here we are. It's time to delve back in time thirty years to uh, talk about stuff that is ringing hollow even more today. The uh, post wrestling and WrestleNomics endorsed uh, Titan Gate series. We should say too, especially after absolutely. Yes, we all definitely want to uh, thank. John and Way and Brandon for uh, doing that, and uh, an honor for them to put us over like that. We appreciate that, and yeah, so hopefully we gain some new patrons from that, and uh, for those of you new patrons, make sure you listen to some of the old stuff that we've done, too. There's a lot of great stuff on on these shows, and tell your friends about it. Let's spread that word, patreon.com slash 20 sheets. Get it out there. But anyway, so let's... Uh, Quit dilly-dallying, and let's get started, shall we? All right, so we'll pick up where we left off, and we'll go to the end of April. Week of April 27th, Observer, May the 4th. John Arezzi's personal spotlight newsletter, May the 4th. We'll start with the Observer. Another credibility, credibility test of the WF steroid program may be taking place as this is being written. We've had three different sources confirmed that a major WF star and his one who would be obviously suspected – Attempted to falsify his test by using clean urine in a Visine bottle and was caught and reported to the front office. This alleged incident was said to have taken place approximately one week before WrestleMania. By virtue of the rules, that should have meant an immediate six-week suspension. Given who the alleged person was and his status on the show, nobody should even expect it to have been enforced until after Mania. Rules or not. WF rules on the policy are that a testing agent is supposed to monitor all the urine samples to make sure there are no attempts at falsification. However, the wrestler did work over the weekend and in Europe with no sign of a suspension, but there were rumors flying late Monday and with everyone at Titan and Niagara Falls for television, there was no confirming anything officially before press time. Gee, I wonder who this might be, Bix. Oh, are you thinking it's newsletter favorite Sid Udy? <laughs> well, I mean, Dave basically... Says it without saying it, talking about his position on the Mania card. And, you know, I mean, do you honestly think in your heart of hearts that they would have suspended Sid a week before WrestleMania? No. Hell no. <laughs> As we'll get to later, they suspend him after. But yeah. Yeah. But still, they weren't going to they were they weren't going to let that stop their uh, their big pay-per-view extravaganza and a main event of the show. Yeah. Now, to get into something we talked about when we covered either this week or one of the subsequent weeks on the main show, were there any Visine bottles that you could open up and fill with stuff in that era? I would think it was possible, So, depending on what it was. Like, the traditional clear Visine bottle, I think, is all one piece, so you couldn't use that. But, um... I guess if it was like more like the the solid color plastic, those had like remove those might have had a removable. Thing. No, but I'm thinking of like the safety cover, not the main nozzle. Those are always connected. So I don't know. I mean, because we've heard stories later on 
I think Mark Marrow during the Benoit stuff was one of the people who said that, that, um, how do I put this? That there would be times, especially in WCW, where they would just put actual Visine in the urine samples and it seemed to invalidate the test and no one would follow yes. up. Yeah, I've heard of that. Or if it, it wouldn't invalidate it, but it would make it, because obviously if it's an invalidated <laughs> test, they'd probably just do it again, but it, or it would just make them test negative. I don't know, but I think it's more likely that, but I don't, I don't know. It's weird because I just can't think of a Visine bottle you can fill it with. I think when we did that show too, most of the people who responded after listening said they didn't think that such a Visine bottle existed. Well, it was some type of situation, so obviously, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll have more on this as we go along. Sid Udy, good lord. All right, so let's continue, and we stay with the Observer. In the Murray Hodgson case, Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson were able to delay their depositions, which were originally scheduled to take place this past week. There's also a good chance they'll be able to get the contents of the deposition sealed. Normally, depositions become public record, and in this case, some very interesting statements could have resulted from all sides. Titans attorneys attempted to get Hodgson's deposition videotape, which Hodgson's attorney, Ed Nussbaum, got overturned. At last report, transcripts of Hodgson's deposition are expected to be made public record. A few of the questions we talked about last week have been either answered or made clearer. McMahon was apparently not telling the truth whatsoever when he claimed on Donahue that it had taken Hodgson six months to come forward. I found it amazing that McMahon would even have the audacity to say that, Nussbaum said. While the alleged meeting a week after Hodgson's termination, where Hodgson said he clearly told McMahon about the situation with Pat Patterson is a one person's word against another situation... There are records of Hodgson's attorney sending a letter on September 16, 1991, threatening legal action based on Hodgson's complaint. When Titan said it had no interest in selling the case, that also wasn't true, since Titan arranged for settlement conferences in both October and November. As for the story about Hodgson asking for $160,000 a day at the Donahue show or else he appear, which McMahon brought up on the show, and several in Titan have insisted, while Hodgson immediately denied it, there is a shade of gray. Apparently, Hodgson's two-year contract with Titan Sports was for $84,000 a year. If Hodgson at any time said he wouldn't settle for anything less than when he was owed in his contract, well, $160,000 is probably pretty close to that figure, even if Hodgson never actually mentioned a figure the day at a Donahue show, and the Titan had no written record of such. Like I wrote last week, this case isn't going to go to court because then everything becomes public record, plus the actual trial would get substantial media publicity, even though both sides insist they wanted to go to trial. That sounds more like posturing to attempt to bluff better leverage for an inevitable settlement. Michael Clark, a Canadian referee who appeared on the Now Can Be Told piece, has gotten involved with attorney Robert Wolf of New York, who is making noises about a class action suit against Titan Sports based on what he claims is a pattern of racketeering. And we've been able to confirm the outside firm Fairfax Partners is conducting an investigation authorized by WF, although as a press time, they hadn't contacted anyone who was on the Donahue show panel. Well, <laughs> um, class action lawsuits, investigations. Yeah, here we are. 1992-2022. Titan Sports, everybody? <laughs> um, okay, so first of all, things vary by jurisdiction, so I suppose this could be true. But um, I don't necessarily think there's anywhere where depositions automatically become public record, at least the transcripts. Um, 
I believe they're initially, I mean, they're always sealed for like at least a month when they're, you know, they send back the transcript, do you have any fixes, etc. So I don't know if that's true. Now, granted, I haven't gone back since things opened back up, or excuse me, haven't revisited this to go since things opened back up. Shortly before the pandemic started, I was planning on trying to take a trip to the courthouse in Connecticut because they said I could take my scanner and stuff and they still had everything. But, and we don't really know. It's not like anyone was looking back then. And I feel like if we, I feel like if anyone actually had the deposition other than Jerry McDevitt and the World Wrestling Federation, we would have heard more about it than just what Jerry McDevitt told me by now. But I'm I'm definitely curious if there's anything from it in there. I'm guessing there's probably some trace of it that was used as exhibits, even if it's not the whole thing after the fact. Um, I think what else do we have here? Um, Mike Clark. Class action. I mean, I don't know if you have enough for a class action, but it seems like there are legitimate concerns. Uh, what else? NWF authorizing the investigation. Well, we knew about that anyway, more or less, in the previous coverage. But what do you make of the $160,000 discussion? It's an interesting, interesting you know, thing there because he's owed $168,000. So it's very, very close to the uh, number that he said he, would, he was owed that he would take. Right. In a, in a settlement, so it's interesting. Yeah, I feel like do if they had any proof you, of it of him actually making the demand, even though it is Marie Hodge, and I feel like they would have brought it forward by that point. Do you think that there will that there actually was some discussions at the Donahue show? Well, the claim wasn't the discussion was at the show; it was that he had talked that there was a phone call. I think earlier that day. Well, whatever, but either or. Do you think that there's something happen? Do you think that Dave thinks there may be a shade of gray here? I think the question is more who initiated it if something happened. Okay. I think that's fair, right? Yeah. I think it's easy to see something having happened. The question is if it was Maurice's side or Vince's side. If there was, I think if there were any, was any type of, um, you know, move making here, I think Murray would have been the one that made the move first. To see, to see if he could get money out of it. Right, because they don't necessarily think he has anything. Excuse me. Yeah. I, I might have burped. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I see him making the phone call. Yeah. I see if he so. can get, he'd get payday off of him. We do, I, they probably had some stuff on him by that point, though, because Vince does bring up his past, but then they don't really go anywhere with it. Yeah, well, I think I think the, the, the show's dynamics is why that doesn't happen. Hmm. You know, but yeah, interesting stuff here, and we'll have more on this as we go along. So let's continue, shall we? The current affairs segment has a press time on Monday. We're scheduled to run this coming Thursday, which will be after most of you read this. I don't expect the segment to have any groundbreaking developments that haven't been reported elsewhere, particularly on a now could be told piece. I also don't expect Titan Sports to cooperate with the piece. So, yeah. We'll have more on that, I guess, as we're going along as well. All right, so let's go to John Arezzi for us spotlight. Diary of a Madman, part two. Not the Ozzy Os- not any type of Ozzy Osbourne album, but there you go. Which follows up on a timeline he wrote up about the scandals. This is the unexpected second part of my diary chronicles, the week of the breakup of my partnership with Vince Russo and the struggle to keep my program on the air. 
March 23rd, 1992, late Sunday, early Monday, the phone rings in the wee hours of the morning. A good friend of mine tells me of Titan Sports Steroid Symposium booked at the Plaza Hotel. I'm told if I attempt to show up, I wouldn't be let in. I told my friend, I will show up anyway. Later in the day, I call up my partner, Vince Russo, and tell him of the symposium. He calls me back and tells me of a conversation he had with WPR honcho Steve Planamena. Planamena agreed to send us a videotape of the symposium. As I'm on the phone with Russo, Planamena calls him back. Russo hangs up on me to talk to Planamena. A few minutes later, Russo informs me that Vincent Mann has invited him to come to the symposium on one condition that he shows up alone. I become irate. I've been on top of this story for almost a year, and I'm being shut out on covering an important development. I'm also not happy with Russo for not defending my right to be there. We pick her back and forth. I asked for Dave Meltzer's opinion on the three-way call between Dave, Russo, and myself. Oh, I wish that was on tape. Uh, Meltzer agrees that I should show up. Russo says he will not go if I attend on showing up, because he said it would embarrass him. After much thought, I agreed not to show up, and I feel like I'm being set up by WF in a plot to divide and conquer between my partner and myself. <laughs> oh, man, I, I want to hear that phone call. Oh, my God. Dave Russo and Arezzi. On March 24th, well, Danny has What? I could ask him, but I know John was starting to get into the habit of taping some calls at that time. That's possible, so it's I guess. theoretically possible there's a tape, especially because in New York it would have been legal. Yeah. All right, March 24th, Data Symposium. I do not hear Vince Russo all day, nor do I attempt to contact him. March 25th. Russo calls me in the early afternoon and says we must get together to talk about what happened yesterday. I go to the office and we talk. After briefly going over the symposium, Russo has a lot to say. He tells me that WF treated him very nicely at the symposium. Steve Planamena, Linda McMahon, Shane McMahon, and Vincent Kennedy McMahon himself all spent time with him. In fact, Vince Jr. spent a good 30 to 40 minutes with Russo. My main thought was, why? Russo then rattles off a number of statements which in turn rattled me. He tells him I've worked very hard on the steroid sex stories and it's time to drop the ball. He said McMahon told him we don't realize how much fun a wrestling talk show could be. He tells him McMahon would meet with both of us to discuss ways we could work together to promote wrestling. He paints a very pretty picture, a picture telling me that a very nice financial situation could be awaiting both of us because we've got the WF by the balls. I immediately knew that I was looking at a person who has no business being associated with me. I feel like getting up and punching him in the face, but I play along with him, saying I would meet with McMahon instead of a meeting through Planamena. I drive home sick to my stomach. I call a very few trusted friends who will all agree I'm dead in the water. Because of my financial situation, they're holding all the cards. I don't sleep at night. I will not sell out. <laughs> 30 to 40 minutes, huh? Out of nowhere. Vince McMahon, Vince Russo, huh? Amazing. It's almost like they're trying to butter him up. <laughs> wow. March 22nd, 1992, I began making phone calls to some folks desperately looking for someone to back me financially as I'm preparing for a split with Russo, who I don't even want to speak to. Russo calls me to this Dr. Mauro Di Pasquale come on the radio show as a guest. He got Mario's number from Steve Planamena. I think to myself that WF is already dictating who should be a guest on my show. Russo also wants to bring on Skull Von Crush, a what is this supposed to be, Bix? A loot wrestler? Uh, I don't remember I what don't, that was supposed to I be. I don't know what that's supposed to be. Uh, a wrestler from Johnny Rods' wrestling school, who coincidentally Russo is going to manage at an upcoming Rod show. 
I spent several hours getting information on DePasquale, reading the steroid symposium literature, and listening to a cassette of the symposium. DePasquale sounds like a mad scientist to me on tape, and his monotone voice is sure to turn off my listeners. I'm considering bringing on Murray Hodgson as another guest to open the show on Sunday. I'm on pins and needles. What will tomorrow bring? <laughs> March 27, 1992. Russo calls me about 11 a.m. to tell me he's booked DePasquale. He also tells me he wants to have equal time on the show Sunday night to talk about how unprofessional Phil Mushnick of the New York Post was. I flatly deny the request, telling him that I would debate him on Mushnick, but it would not allow him to editorialize about Phil. In closing, I tell him to read the New York Post today as Mushnick wrote another WF piece about the symposium. We hang up, and I'm getting angrier and angrier. The meeting with my man, booking Deepa Squally on the show, wanting equal time to blast Phil Mushnick? What the hell happened to Russo? Or do I even know this guy at all? Five minutes or so pass, and Russo calls me up screaming. He's accusing me of feeding Phil Mushnick lies for his column. I stop in the middle of his tirade and warn him to never accuse me of anything again. I get Phil Mushnick on a three-way conversation to prove to this idiot that I didn't feed Mushnick any information on the symposium. I wish I had this phone call. Uh, as I was not there. Mushnick says Russo straight, but Russo starts landing the Phil on his WF coverage. When Mushnick fires back, Russo hangs up on both of us. I've had just about as much as I'm going to take. I call Russo up to tell him I am on my way to see him. I ask my brother-in-law to come with me as a witness. I get to the office and tell Russo I do not want to be associated with him any longer, and I don't care what WF is hinted to him. I want no part of it. Or him. He is seething. He tells me I've been spinning my wheels and wrestling for years, and I'm broke. His final words to me were, you're going to be broke for the rest of your life. And he gets up, he crumbles up a copy of the New York Post, kicks the door off to the office open, and leaves. I take my belongings and leave, uncertain about how I'm going to continue, yet as if a weight has been lifted from me. As soon as I get home, I start calling fans from WEBD Radio. Russo was calling there, telling them I was out, and he was going to take the show over. He wanted to take two weeks off and then come back with a show that he was alluding to on the station. could be sponsored by the WWF. By the grace of God, the last contract signed with the station had my signature on it, therefore giving me the airtime for Sunday's show. I was lucky to have an ally at the station who went to bat for me. Russo called the station and said he wanted to go back on the station immediately and not miss a week. He was informed that I will maintain control of the show, and he was out. He goes berserk on the phone. March 29th, 1992, I go on the air with my story, which in turn strikes a chord with my listeners. They offer their support, and I strive to continue on. <laughs> Thoughts? Wow. Well, I mean, Vince Russo, uh, is, he, he, he was easily starstruck by Vince McMahon. I mean, that's the obvious thing there. I mean, to change that quick, you know, I mean, just because you met the mighty Vince McMahon, I mean, good Lord. Mm-hmm. You were doing a story about the Lord, about the, well, I was going to say Lord Littlebrook, but more the Karate Kid Pat Patterson stuff a week ago. As of that point. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Vince charmed the pants off of him. Mm-hmm. And that's what Vince McMahon did. You know, he charms people in his own way. And, you know, people will, they will turn their back on things because they like Vince McMahon. Because they think that he likes them and this, that, and the other. I mean, you could kind of see that today with some of the, you know, the media types that are 
cozy with the WWE and how they've covered all of this that's been going on lately. You mean like Ryan Satin, who liked to tweet calling Vince a literal godlike figure? I mean, he's not the only one that. Do, I mean, there's other ones too. I single that, it out because of that specific part of it. To be clear, yeah, but I mean, there there are other ones too that have been silent or have not really said anything of note. They may have reacted to it, but I mean, I mean, Pat McAfee, who is a very powerful media personality these days. I mean, he talked about it, but, I mean, he hasn't really seen anything since that one thing, that one day, you know? Mm. He goes to SmackDown, he goes, he said he's going to go to SmackDown and do whatever, he goes to SmackDown and he hasn't talked about it since. <laughs> so, you know? Yeah. And there's other ones too, but it's interesting to see, and, and it's not just WWE. I mean, this happens in all forms of entertainment that people who or not just entertainment, it's you know, life in general business. People that have relationships with certain businesses, corporations, companies, whatever, when they may be hard on other ones, but if it's somebody they're in a relationship with or, you know, have some type of ties with, take it a little easy on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that should, and that goes for anything. We've seen that, you know, in wrestling. We've seen that with independent wrestling promotions. Mm. You know, you know that personally. <laughs> you know, you've been accused of being a you know homer for GCW. I mean, there's there's other people. I mean, there's people like that. You know, I mean, just because you may like something, doesn't necessarily mean that you're fully in the tank. That you're going to blindly. You know, defend them to the death, or just not acknowledge anything that they do wrong. You know, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I'll say this too, and like, I I feel this is accurate, and at least from talking to some of the people involved, that like, when it comes to, like to GCW, yes, do of the people I actually consider friends in wrestling, do a bunch of them happen to work there? Yes, but. That's about the extent of it, other than I go to their shows locally and enjoy some of their other shows. Like, the, I mean, yes, do, do are there people there who seem to have a soft spot for me, even if they aren't necessarily my friend? Yes, but, like, a few of my friends have put up this way to me that it's like, it's not that they expect me to go to bat for them. It's that it seems like they respect, have enough respect for me to see the value of what I do. Because, like... No one there has ever asked me to not talk about anything or, you know, ever asked me to write about it. Like, anything like that. Ever. Yeah. I mean, and and you'll get the people that's like, well, if that been if that been such such other promotion, then you'd be, you know, ranting and raving, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I've seen you question a lot of things on from GCW's things that they've done. I've seen that happen. Multiple and, you know, times. <laughs> It's just, and it's the whole the thing. Top that, of my head, even, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the things that have happened with, uh, you know, people at AEW and WWE as well. That they have those fan bases that go after people because they think they're too slanted one way or the other. I mean, that's this is what happens. You know, this is the type of things that happens in in with people being quote unquote reporters or media, and 
follow and, and reporting on, you know, whatever, you know, I know that there are in sports media, there's a definite like code that you do not cheer for the team that you're covering in the press box. There oh, was yeah. like that code for forever, but it's kind of loosening up over the years. I mean, with the internet and stuff where the beat, the beat writers and stuff are becoming more vocal as fans of the teams are covering mm. it. Times are changing, you know, in, in that way, there's still some of the, there's still a lot of the people that said the old school, but there are a lot of the newer writers and, and people that's covering this stuff that are open about, Hey, I'm a fan. I want this to, ha- I want them to win, blah, 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 blah. You know? Yeah. So, Times are changing, but you know, with Russo, obviously, it, yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> it's him being st- starstruck by meeting Vincent Mann, and Vince charmed him and got him to change his whole thinking. <laughs> Amazing how that happens. Yeah, but anyway, John Reds, go, go ahead, go ahead. Anything I was going to add though, real quick, I pulled up Russo's book because I don't think he talks about this in the interview with Alex Marvez. We'll be talking about later. But in his book, he talks about talking to Steve Planamente after all this went down. Um, and we get to this. Planamente thanked me for the call, but just before hanging up, asked, What about the radio show? Good question. In my fear, I'd forgotten all about the show. Obviously, John and I weren't going to do it together anymore, but John couldn't afford to do it on his own. And quite frankly, be that as it may, and then from there, notwithstanding, I didn't know whether I still wanted to do it. But remember... Will the Thrills was dying, his his video store was dying a slow death. I had to find another profession fast. The show, quite frankly, I hadn't even thought about it. I said to Planamenta, there's another, quite frankly. Well, good look, look, Vince. I'll sit tight and I'll call you right back. I have an idea. Hung up the phone, stumped. What could Planamenta possibly be talking about? I was both confused and excited. I was desperately looking for a break. Maybe this would be it. Within minutes, Planamenta called me back. V- Vince, I just spoke to my boss, Basil DeVito, and he suggested that you go on with Pro Wrestling Spotlight on your own and we'll pay for it. Wow, talk about a break. That was, this was the big daddy. What? I answered. Do the show on your own. WWF will pick up the tab, he confirmed. Go ahead. Call the radio station before a resi beats you to the punch. Call me back after you talk to them. Planamenta then hung up. Stood in the office of my video store trying to believe what I just heard. Okay, blah, 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 blah. But then he says that thinking with my head and not my heart, Steve Planamenta wasn't just trying to be Chris Kringle. He wasn't just handing over the keys to North Pole unless there was something in it for the WWF. And there was the opportunity to finally rid themselves of a thorn in their side by the name of John Arezzi. Now, don't get me wrong. At this level, John didn't make much noise, but he made enough and WWF could rid themselves of an enemy. Then off with his head. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. They didn't care about me. And then what would happen after the first week, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that they felt he was just another mark trying to get into the business. Um, but he still called and John had already beaten him to the punch for, as we just talked about with John's side. So, so that's where we, I mean, let me ask you. This. I mean, it, it sounds, it sounds to me real quick. It sounds to me that he's in writing the book. He had clarity about what was really going on, that they were using him to get rid of John. I mean, do you agree with that? Yes, I think, but here's the thing though. I mean, do you buy that he paid that he paid for his own show out of his own pocket on the Long Island station? No, you do think WWF was was paying for it. I think they were involved. Yes, 
Because they had definitely had a close relationship. There was some definite definite involvement there. Was it fully? I don't know. But there was definitely involvement. And then, like, the fact that he ends up getting the magazine gig first as a freelancer and then quickly as a staffer, just the way it plays out, I just, I, I've, you know, we've talked about this before, I just don't really buy his side as being the complete story that he's told. So, like I said before, I think I said it on at least part one or part two, I don't think we're ever going to know the full story of what happened with him going to the WWF. No, probably not. Not at all. All right, well, let's continue. As we move on here, with more John Arezzi. This is from Matt Memories. <clears throat> this Matt Memory would be a little different from the previous columns. Today I won't be talking about a classic wrestling encounter nor an experience in covering wrestling. I'm going to share with you my personal memories I have of Mel Phillips. Mel Phillips in the middle of the most sickening scandal in the history of professional wrestling. His name has been mentioned in national media linked and alleged to the most heinous of crimes, child abuse. If Mel is guilty of what has been alleged, he should pay dearly. What I will now inform you is of my personal experiences with Mel Phillips, someone who I've known for 18 years. I first met Mel Phillips in June 1974. I was attending my first wrestling convention promoted by the WFIA, Wrestling Fans International Association, which was in Atlanta. An annual gathering of fans and wrestling professionals to honor each other and talk about the business. I was fortunate to be recipient of uh, two of that year's awards. The Best Monthly Fan Publication and Fan Club of the Year, both for my work as president of the Freddie Blassie Fan Club. That same convention awarded Mel Phillips the honor for being Fan of the Year. That weekend, I became friends with Mel Phillips. He was just breaking into the business as a ring boy for WF. His goal was to be the ring announcer. After the convention, I started running in the mail at media local shows I attended in New York. A friendship was developing. He was working inside the business, even though the ring boy or gopher was in a high position. I respected him because he knew all the wrestlers. Many times he provided transportation for the wrestlers, taking them from city to city. In January 1975, I ventured to Philadelphia for the first time for the WWS TV tapings at the old arena on Market Street. It was here that Mel introduced me to a number of people, mostly girls who dated various wrestlers. I developed some close friendships with those girls, a few of which I still speak to today. And, and real quick, as Barry Rose had told me before on the on Exxon Bad Street, the thing to do was to meet up with these girls that were going out with the wrestlers, and that's how you get inside scoops. Dave Meltzer has talked about that at length as well. Yeah. How so. the uh, teenage uh, friends of the wrestlers oftentimes were also his uh, chaperones when his parents or family friend couldn't take him to the Cow Palace. Yeah. Mel would always try to persuade me to go to Hamburg, Pennsylvania with him. Hamburg was another town where the WWWF would hold TV tapings if they had to Philadelphia tapings. He was always persistent, and he would pay for the hotel and expenses. I would always politely say no. Mel began to work more regularly for the WWWF in late 1975-76, and I still considered him my friend. In fact, during my freshman year of college, Mel would visit me, visit me occasionally and be a guest on my radio show on the campus station. It was during these visits I began to notice a strange habit of Mel's. He would always seek out one of my best friends at school and wrestle him. I thought nothing of it at the time. Mel spent New Year's Eve with my family in 1975. The day he arrived, he proudly showed off a new videotape camera and recorder. Now, this was before videotape cassettes were on the market. This device was a reel-to-reel -reel recorder, which was rare for any consumer to have. After reading recent allegations in the newspaper, this guy having video equipment back then makes you think. 
During the summer of 1976, Mel came to visit me in New York on a handful of occasions. On all these trips, he was accompanied by a young boy who was about 15 years old. I began to question about this kid. Mel would reply that the youngster was underprivileged and had a bad home life and he was looking out for. On these visits, I would often wonder why Mel would always wind up wrestling with my neighbor's two young boys. It was, always, it was also during the summer that I made two trips from Philadelphia to Hamburg with Mel. On both occasions, there was only one bed in the hotel room where we stayed. I slept on the floor on both occasions. My friendship with Mel began to drift apart in the winter of 1976. I was back in college for my second year and was going out with Mary Rochelle, a young woman from Massachusetts. Mel came up to visit me and felt insulted that I'd rather spend time with Mary than him. I was getting weird vibes from him and was glad when he left. From the winter of 1976 through the next few years, I began to notice more and more young boys always hanging around Mel Phillips. It seemed strange to me. After my pro wrestling debut in January 1978, I began spending less and less time hanging around the business. On a few occasions, I would travel to Northeast Arenas and bump into Mel. It was cordial, not friendly. He was always preoccupied with his group of ring boys he was now supervising. My recent experiences with Mel Phillips had not been pleasant. Since my return to the business in 1989, I've heard stories and been repulsed by them. On the few occasions I've actually spoken to him, the first thing he would ask me is, how are the, whatever, the what the Doe's, John Doe's, the Doe's were the two young boys who lived next door to me 16 years ago. Perhaps I should feel grateful. I spent a lot of time with Mel Phillips in the 70s, and so thank God I was not put in a position which would have embarrassed me and would have put his life in jeopardy. Today I shudder when I think about it. I just hope he seeks a professional help. And yes, in 1992, he did use the actual family name, but obviously that's probably not a good idea to repeat here. Um, uh, no, no. Especially under the circumstances. So, Oof. <laughs> I wish more people knew this and read this, because Oof. you combine this with the reporting, it's pretty clear what was going on and that it was going on, unfortunately, for a very long time. And God knows, and God knows who was on, who was involved in it. Because, I mean, this is people that were, I mean, not John Arezzi's next door neighbors, not involved in wrestling. So it makes you wonder how much, how much was going on with people not even involved in wrestling. Right. Oh, oh, sickening. Yeah. And it's sickening. It also shows just how out in the open he was too. Yeah, well, I guess he didn't think that nobody would say anything. It is a different era. I mean, what nobody. I, I guess a lot of people thought that okay, he just he's just wrestling around with these kids. He's not doing anything. He's just horsing around. Now, there is this though, which has been mentioned to me before, and you don't see talked about a lot, but I think is a fair point, given the era in which this was happening, and. I gotta think it wasn't just while he was in the Northeast, once he was on the road nationally. How did racism not accidentally get him on anything when he's this black guy driving around with all these white young boys? That's a very interesting point. I don't know. That's, I mean, I don't know what to tell you on that one, especially, you know, in in that time period. Right. Like, even in the, well, especially, you know, once he'd get to, like, upstate New York and stuff, you know, for the further north you go, the further south it is. Like, it's weird. Like, it's weird that he didn't get tripped up at some point just by that. 
you know, as obviously it would not be a good reason for that to happen, but you would think at some point something would have happened. Yeah. Especially because, it. I mean, as far as we know, he was mainly preying on white boys. Yes. Yes. Very weird. Yeah. Um, the video equipment thing. Jesus. Reel-to-reel camera. So presumably like a professional setup. So who, who knows how much that cost? And this is 1975. Right. Basically all of the fo- home formats come out starting in 76, if I remember right. Yeah. So... I mean, it makes me buy, you know, all this, you know, he must have, I gotta think there was a subpoena or something at some point. He must have, at some point, destroyed or moved stuff or whatever, I would think. Impossible, yeah. Yeah. Man, that's the the thing, you know, we, we, we just think about Mel Phillips and the wrestling ring boys. It goes way more than that. Mm -hmm. Who knows who's, who other, who the other neighbors of, of people that he or was his even friends. whoever and, this boy he was bringing with him was too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's go to something that at least temporarily is more uplifting and positive. Yeah. As we go back to the observer from all reports, Karen Von Eric stepped to 84 Clinton did him a world of good because he said to be like a changed individual. Well, Carrie was at the, World Bodybuilding Federation Fitness Expo during this time period. And you have this uh, clip that you tweeted out a few years ago. So let's listen to Carrie Vine Eric here at this point in time and uh, see how he was uh, acting here. Yes, and this is is several weeks later, but still, you, you get the idea. Well, I happen to catch uh, one of the most awesome physical specimens in the World Wrestling Federation, the Texas Tornado, here at the Expo. But I have to tell you, Kerry Von Erich, the WBF has quite a few athletes who have some of the most incredible bodies on the planet. Tonight, they'll be competing for the championship. That's right, but you know, the work and dedication that has gone into this has just been incredible. The preparation, these are some of the greatest athletes in the world here tonight. And um, But if I had to pick one, it would be the future himself, Jim Quinn. Well, I happen to catch uh, one of the most... He's like a different person. Yes, his whole pattern of speech. You know? Mm-hmm. He, he looks good. He's not slurring his speech, or he's not speaking... He's not dragging his words out. His eyes are the clearest you've ever seen them. Yeah. I mean, this is the cleanest he, he was when... Uh, until uh, The other time he was this clean was when he was sitting at home from the motorcycle wreck. When he would make appearances during that time period. Yeah, I'm guessing because of... He's not on the road! Well, but also, I'm guessing the wreck did scare him a bit, too. And I'm sure the wreck was drug-related. So, he was staying out of trouble to some degree. And it's such a stark difference. Yeah, when we've played those clips from, like, late 86 or very early 87 of him... Well, the the Lance burial, you know? Yeah. He sounds like this carry there. Yeah, just being in, being in the business, being on the road, was what you know really affected him. Seems like that was part of it. Yeah, but yeah, sad. It's sad to know that stuff that his life could have been so much different had not been in the wrestling business. Yes, and 
as much as we are deservedly shitting on the World Wrestling Federation Entertainment throughout all this, I mean, good for them for sending him to rehab at a you know and paying for it at a time where that was not exactly the norm. They tried with him. Mm-hmm. They did. Can't say that. Can't say they didn't do it. But mm. all right, former re- wrestling referee John Bonello, who was not Black Power number two in Mexico, was sentenced to eighteen months in prison. Which definitely proves he wasn't Black Power two in Mexico because Black Power two in Mexico is wrestling during the time he's in prison. Yes. 360 hours community service and three years probation on conviction of hiring an undercover police officer who was posing as a hitman, not Bret Hart, to kill his wife. Thanks, Dave, for letting us know that. Uh, Benello, 38, of Brampton, Ontario, had worked independently during the mid-late 70s and later worked for WF as a referee and refereed the Hogan Orndorff match at Exhibition Stadium in Toronto before 69,300 fans in 1986 and on WrestleMania 3 in the Pontiac Silverdome. Bonello had told the officer that since he was a wrestler, he knew how to act the part of an emotionally distraught husband whose wife had been murdered. Psychiatrist Dr. Basil Orchard, I know some of you think I'm making this stuff up from the aftermaths, <laughs> testified Bonello's condition came from stacking four different types of anabolic steroids that gave Bonello a steroid psychosis and an air of grandiosity. Bonello, who was also regularly using pot, cocaine, and downers while working part-time as a referee and bouncer, along with holding a regular job at the McConnell Douglas Canada Aircraft Plant in Mississauga. The prosecuting attorney asked that Benello be put away for at least six years for the plot, but the judge, John Weber, said he wasn't convicted. He wasn't convicted. Benello, he, he wasn't convicted that Benello wanted his wife killed so he could collect the $53,000 insurance policy and resume an affair with a dancer at the bar he bounced at. Benello was convicted of counseling first-degree murder, he paid an undercover officer $1,500 in cash and gave him a house key with directions to shoot his wife while she was sleeping, make it like a burglary while he was out of town refereeing. Bonello promised him another $3,500 upon completion. The judge went easy on Bonello since the couple were reconciled and the entire family on the wife's side of the family sympathized with him. Okay. <laughs> so he tried to kill her, but they reconciled. All is happy in the world, I guess, Biggs. Uh... What a... What a story this is. Steroid-induced psychosis. Yeah? Roid rage. Well, that's not roid rage, though. That's different. Well, Roid rage is not, I am going to hatch out a plot to hire a hitman. Well, you never know. You get that mad. No, but that's not what... Roid rage is a burst of rage. It is not a sustained... well, uh, Well, I think you could call somebody wanting to kill somebody in a burst of rage. No, but there's there's a difference between committing a violent act in a burst of rage and and going out and making the effort to hire the hitman and do all this. That's not the same thing. I yes. get what you're saying. They're 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 going for something different from that. Related but different. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's no coincidence that those television shows are airing more and more clips with those stars doing charity work and interacting with children. Well, that's good and bad. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I want to have uh, more close of them interacting with children. Especially when you're still old, showing old matches from before Mel Phillips was fired with him as ring announcer. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not the best of uh, public relations stunts, but anyway, either way, there you go. No, and also, you know, as we talked about in part one, when they're sh- uh, not far removed, as in literally just a few months removed from still having ring boys. Yeah. Which, I still can't believe no one ever put really 
I mean, granted, not everyone had all the newsletters we were working at, but still, that that wasn't a bigger deal at the time. Yeah, I know. Very weird. All right, let's go to the week of May the 4th. Three Count May the 5th. Torch May 7th. Charleston Post Courier May 10th. Observer May 11th. And John Rezzi's Pro Wrestling Spelling Newsletter May 11th as well. Let's start with the Observer. The continuing saga of Sid Udy took another strange turn this past week. The former Sid Vicious, now Sid Justice, at least as of last week, was officially suspended for a period of no less than six weeks by World Wrestling Federation for an all its all-inclusive term, unprofessional conduct. This came after Justice stormed out of the Boston Garden after a match last Sunday night with the Ultimate Warrior because he was unhappy over either the way they were going to the finish, the finish itself, which was him losing by disqualification in about four minutes, and or the working proficiency of his opponent, which many have termed a pot calling the Kettle Black story. As the week went on, the story was Justice had, in this order, quit, been fired, and been suspended. On Monday, Papa Shango... Charles Wright was contacted and flown to the Northeast for a show that night in Rochester, New York, to take Justice's spot in the main event against Warrior from his Midwestern bookings, since word was up that Justice had gone AWOL and quit the promotion. Justice hasn't appeared since, including missing television tapings on Tuesday and Wednesday. And Sunday's Tokyo Sports was reported that Justice, who is believed has a little more than a year left on his WF contract, was negotiating with New Japan, although New Japan office didn't confirm the story. This marks the third straight year that Justice hasn't worked during this time of year, i.e. softball season. Two years ago, while recuperating from a collapsed loan, the then Sid Vicious no-show World Championship Wrestling House shows in which he was supposed to appear in the corner, since he hadn't got clearance to wrestle, in lieu of apparently playing in local softball leagues, which gained him his reputation as Softball Sid. Last year at this time, he quit WCW after attempting and succeeding, but still quitting anyway, getting his contract renegotiated due to the lure of the promised WrestleMania main event against Hulk Hogan the following year. He then took those few months off, just working television tapings, before starting out on the road in August with the WWF. <laughs> oh my goodness. Softball Sid. Well, do you want to continue or are we, are we uh, continue. All right. So then after a short paragraph about the major angle shot, the TV taping, in last week's Observer, we reported that a major WF wrestler had allegedly falsified a steroid test about a week before WrestleMania by using someone else's urine out of a Visine bottle rather than his own, that the incident was reported and the wrestler had not been suspended. Hmm. At the time, there were some wrestlers somewhat miffed over the apparent lack of punishment for the incident that had become well-known, feeling it established that there were two sets of rules in the WF in regards to the steroid issue. Others felt that if they were found to have done the same thing, they would be suspended immediately as per the steroid policy statement, even though nobody questioned the decision not to suspend before WrestleMania. According to another source, it wasn't clean urine from a Visine bottle, but apparently one of the wrestlers was able to get a large supply of the bottles the urine specimens are sent in. According to the source, the tests are indeed monitored to make sure it's the person's urine that goes in a bottle. But in carrying the identical bottle in the person with someone else's clean urine, the person is able to make the switch after he is monitored if need be. Suppose this has been common practice, at least with the few for obvious candidates. We were, in fact, talking about Sid Justice, whose name wasn't revealed last week because of all that was going on with him, right at press time in the supposition that he might still be suspended. His six-week suspension, part of not being around for now, may be related to that alleged incident, and certainly is heavily rumored to be. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh... <laughs> So an identical specimen cup, apparently. Yes. So not a Visine bottle. No. 
So we get that cleared up. Yeah. Uh, don't you wish we had fake urine back then so we could have stories like uh, Kevin Randleman failing a commission drug test in MMA because his te- because it was fake urine and it came back as having no human hormones? <laughs> yeah. That's some wild shit that goes on with that fake urine, I'll tell you that. But, um... Again, I mean, here's the thing. Let me explain it to you folks. And I've explained this at my job, too. No matter where you work, no matter what you do, there will always be a double standard somewhere, some, somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Some people some people are going to get some type of preferential treatment for some reason anywhere. That's just the way it goes. Is it right? No. But that's the way it is. That's life. Because you're going to have bosses that are going to have preferences. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, that's all, all you can say about it. Yeah. But we still and got Sid, more about Sid, though, too. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, and Sid, a WrestleMania main eventer, you know, looks like he looks. Of course, that if a wrestler looked like, oh, let me try to think of somebody here in 1992 WF. Um... Bushwhacker Luke. If a wrestler like Bushwhacker Luke and was uh, and was found with steroids, yes, they're gonna get suspended. Absolutely, double standard. Their their positioning on the card, yeah. who they are, they're more expendable than WrestleMania main eventer Sid Justice. Mm-hmm. So, it's life. You just gotta deal with it. All right, let's continue. Excerpt from Justice Served. WF gives Sid steroid suspension by Alice Marvez a three count. Sid Justice, WF lead heel, was suspended for six weeks early last, late last week for unprofessional conduct, according to WF spokesman Steve Planamena. Planamena did not elaborate on the suspension, stating he did not know whether it was levied for an in-ring or out-of-the-ring altercation, but three wrestling insiders say Justice was suspended because he was caught cheating on steroid tests in late March prior to WrestleMania 8. I can't say if the report's true or false because I don't know, Vladimir said, but I wouldn't fault you if you printed it. Well, you That's just not how it. that usually goes, that just, though. You just confirmed it. <laughs> it's never... And, well, that's the thing, though. You ju- It's one thing to say I can't... It, there's a difference between you can do the... But I, I wouldn't fault you for printing it, but you don't say it after I can't say if it's true or false. Well, we got more Planamenta on it, though. Yeah, I was about to jump into this. We go to Mike Mooneyham. Extra from Warriors Federation Spanish Justice for six weeks from Mike Mooneyham, the Chost and Post Courier. WS spokesman Steve Planamona, when asked if the suspension is approved that the WS steroid testing program is working, said they may offer the exact opposite evidence. I love to say it's working, but when I look at it objectively, then to me, the suspensions, if they are drug related, don't mean the program is working. The program will be working when we don't bust anybody because they're all off of it. That might sound a little self-righteous, but when everybody's off of it and everybody's healthy, that's when we can say we did it right. You can't go cold turkey because it can be very damaging to your health. That's why our whole system is not one of retribution. We're not pointing our fingers at anyone and saying, oh, we caught you now. It's the same philosophy as with Kerry Von Erich, where he needed rehab. We send him to rehab to get well and come back to us. He looks much better, and that's the whole point. It's not to make accusations of people. It's to make healthier people. If someone goes astray, you want to bring them back to the fold, and you want them helped. Look at the warrior. I looked in his eyes, and his head was clear. He looks terrific. He's never looked or sounded better. He's healthy. He's rested. He's back in normal shape. 
And that's the point of steroid testing and drug testing program. It's not to hang anybody out to dry. It's to help people out. British Bulldog, for instance, is experiencing health problems with a thyroid condition. I'm not a doctor, but I would assume it's for steroid use. He's off everything, but he can't lose weight. So people are going around saying he's still on steroids, but he's not. He needs counseling. He needs people to come in and help him. We put a lot in this business, and we plan on being here for a long, long time to come. And the only way to go about that is to have healthy people here. <laughs> well, it's funny that the two names he mentioned are the ones that get fired in a few months for steroid use. Well, for uh, technically for trying to import HGH from England. Yeah, but still, they're using steroids. Yes. Of course, you know, the best part of that story is the thing that no one knew for years until I went through the court records and wrote the Fighting Spirit article. Because Dave would always write for years. We don't know how Vince found out that they were doing it. It was that Warrior just happened to mention it to him on the phone. <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, I, tr I tried to import HGH from England. They just sent me an empty – I got an empty box after it went through customs and it got confiscated. And then it was like, oh, yeah, Bulldog did it too. He was the one who told me about it. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Insane. What do you make of what Steve Planamenta says here, though? Um, <sighs> the Daisy thing is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah, but he's what he's saying is that he's saying that the system works when we know that nobody's failing the test, and he's right in that regard. He's saying the right things, but. He's also talking out of his ass, too. So you're, <laughs> you're double-talking, and that makes you look less credible in that way when people know that you're obviously full of shit. Yes. Yeah. That's, Steve, that's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, as Steve Planamenta diarrhea of the mouth incidents go, this is less egregious than most? Yeah. But it's still... He's he's clearly full of shit, but not in the same way. He's usually usually clearly full of shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's different, but uh, still, I mean, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's just it's it's a lot here, you know. Um, but at least he's told he's telling the truth on Carrie, you know, and he's right there, and he's right up cold turkey. Some people can't quit cold turkey. Well, it's not they really healthy can. with steroids, especially if you've been on them yeah. for however long. And with a lot yeah, of some people can do it. Yeah, some people can do that, but it's not optimal yeah. for that to happen. Now, actually, <laughs> I just realized um, Warriors' first drug test since coming back is during our week. It's it's on the Monday of our week, actually. Oh wow! Um, so, just as a reminder, I think we talked about this last time too. What did he test positive for again? He tested positive for... Yeah, but they're talking about how clear-headed he... And granted, he, this doesn't mean he was he's high all the time, but on top of various steroids, he also tests positive for codeine and morphine. Yeah. And what was he reporting on here as the medications he was taking otherwise? or No, okay, that's what it was. He wasn't... I don't think he's reporting other medications he's taking at this time. It's later in the year that you start to see like the anti-anxiety medications and other stuff that he's taking. The biggest, you know, the biggest issue to come out of all this though is we got that shitty Ultimate Warrior Papa Shango feud out of all this, 
Because if Sid doesn't get suspended, that feud doesn't happen. Yeah. It's Warrior and Sid. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, that's not going to let the world on fire either as far as wrestling matches. But still, we wouldn't have had all that all the crazy-ass shit that you got in the Warrior Sango angle. So, anyway. A current affair. Their piece mainly covered items that have already been previously been covered. Concentrated on steroid use in WF and of Hulk Hogan in particular, and claims of cocaine used by Hogan with comments from superstar Billy Graham, Dr. D. David Schultz, Billy Jack Haynes, and Bruno Sammartino. It also aired footage of the infamous two head slaps delivered by Schultz to 2020 reporter John Stossel in the dressing room of Massacre Garden back in December 1984. Schultz said on the show, and he said under oath at a deposition regarding Stossel's lawsuit, that he did so under orders from Vincent Mann. Schultz said, man, said to him, David, there's a guy here doing a national TV show. He's making a joke about the business. I want you to ear his ass out. Okay. This is taken from the Observer, direct copy and paste, you know, from what's on the Observer site from Dave's old word perfect files. Do we think it was, because I don't have video of this one. Do we think it's tear your ass out or eat his ass out? <laughs> I think it's tear, right? I don't know, Dave. I don't know if Dr. D's eating, eating David, uh, John Stossel's ass. I don't know if he's into that, but... Uh, anyway, yeah. Who knows? Also, but yes, he continues saying... <laughs> he's an ass eater. Uh, <laughs> I want you to blast him and stay in character. Schultz claimed he was fired over the incident. It was the beginning of his end of his wrestling career. Although it needs to be pointed out that Schultz wrestled for about seven more weeks. He was fired after an incident in Los Angeles involving after Mr. T. Yes, that's why he was fired, not Stoss. Um, a man's former limo driver, Jim Stewart, who appeared on television for the first time in the piece, confirmed Schultz's story, saying, I heard Vince say, I guess maybe I shouldn't have told Schultz to slap him. After a man reached a $425,000 settlement with Stiles, so just for a lawsuit regarding the case going to trial. A 2020 cameraman a few months back confirmed almost the same wording as Schultz to me. John Stone, after being turned down for an interview request from a man by Planamena, tried to ambush interview by stopping him while he was going at his car. But the man who's being filmed in this air refused to talk and told them to go through pro the proper channels for interview, which would be through Steve Planamena, who then denied the interview request again the next day. Murray Hodgson appeared claiming once again to have been fired as an announcer for turning down a homosexual pass by a vice president. In addition, the piece showed a letter Hodgson faxed on April 27th to Vincent Mann asking him if he could host a video in the fitness expo of the WF Championship show in Long Beach next month, the same duties he did at the first WF Championships in Atlantic City. So here's the thing. Oh, this is on YouTube. I don't know why I missed it, but yeah, go well, ahead. Here, here, here's the thing. Well, well I'll read the I'll relevant read, parts. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Dave's whole thing because I want to talk about Murray Hodgson. So mm -hmm. overall, the piece is about as fair as one as could be under the circumstances, which includes several new major allegations and curious items come out of the woodwork over the last two days. The producers, John Stone and Victoria Burt, were so perplexed by the apparent hardcore lying involved on a pretty consistent basis with at least some of the parties that they concentrate on the steroid issue, which is pretty much a slam dunk in regards to Hogan, as opposed to the sexual harassment, which involves one person's word against another's, with major league character assassinations going back and forth, and really no way to prove anything. The only complaint Dave would have with it, and it's a minor one, is in calling Hogan the biggest steroid abuser in WF. If what Schultz claimed is correct, in doing 36 cc's per week of testosterone, as the story in People Magazine stated, it would be quite believable that during that time period, the early 80s, anyone do it, doing that could very well be the biggest steroid use in the business. But it's pretty clear that whatever Hogan may have done in recent years, it's probably not fair to say he was the biggest steroid use in the business over the past five or six years. 
The letter by Hansen immediately raised a lot of questions about his credibility, since he was asking for employment, albeit just for one night, from an individual he so heavily blasted publicly. Hodgson admits to being broke, needing money based on signing a one-year lease for an $1,800 per month apartment upon being hired by Titan last June. However, he's vehemently insists he's not planning on dropping his lawsuit. In fact, he claimed he'd be filing sexual harassment charges against Patterson and Titan Sports with the EEOC in Connecticut this week to go along with his lawsuit. Hodgson's lawyer, Ed Nussbaum, told us on Thursday he was litigating a wrongful termination suit, not a sexual harassment suit, and said so he never had any intention of litigating a sexual harassment claim because things like that Gets said every day in every company. What? Nussbaum said that Hodgson's letter to Titan wouldn't hurt his case. I'm not sure what do you taste like if something's on the job every company daily, and it contradicts what Nussbaum just t- told us a week earlier about sexual harassment being part of the case. However, McMahon's claim on Donahue that Hodgson took six months to come forward, as reported last week, was definitely not the case. As the second paragraph of Nussbaum's September 16, 1991 letter to McMahon, written before the Anita Hill Clarence Thomas hearings, Stated, after careful investigation of the circumstances surrounding Mr. Hodgson's employment with and termination by Titan Sports, Inc., it is clear that he was inappropriately discharged as a direct consequence of his rejection of a homosexual advance made by a key employee of the company. The legal depositions of McMahon, Hodgson, and Patterson, originally scheduled for April 25th, are now scheduled for late May, early June, with the holdup being that McMahon's attorney, Jerry McDevitt, a Pennsylvania lawyer, has to be approved for a Connecticut case. Depositions in the Wayne Coleman Superstar Billy Graham lawsuit in Pennsylvania were also delayed this past week when Titan's attorneys filed other objections with the court to keep certain Titan employees and McMahon from having to be deposed. These delays come on the heels of claims by Titan of the nature of, we can't wait to get him under oath, and Titan then filing for delays in going under oath. And, and uh, okay, let's keep going because this, this is the thing I want to talk about the most in this whole thing. Well, so okay, I did queue up the the relevant portion, the, the new stuff in the segment. So should I play that first and then we'll jump back in? Yeah, because what, what, what the torch is about to get into is, is the most important thing I want to talk about in this whole thing. Yes. Okay, so the first half or a little more of the segment we don't need. It's just Graham recycling his stuff. I don't know how I missed this was online. Um, but then we switch to Billy Jack Haynes, and that's where the new stuff comes in. Um, and actually, real quick, so I don't forget, I wanted to mention this at the beginning of the show, then I forgot. Um, I was refreshing my memory on some stuff, reading Phil Mushnick's deposition from the lawsuit against him. Um, when he's being asked about Rita Chatterton and what Jim Stewart said he saw, <sighs> McDevitt produces a deposition. It's never said from what. From the date, it wouldn't have been from that lawsuit. It either would have been from Stewart's lawsuit or something else, um, where he claims he never told Mushnick that he could back up the entire Chatterton allegation. Yeah, with Mushnick saying, I think the, the he brought it up to him, and Stewart's response was something like, I was there. And there was more to it, but that that was the part he remembered. So there's more, because as we've talked about, it seems like he corroborated in some form to Jeff Savage, but he didn't say so outright. But still, like, I did want to clarify that since I had the opportunity and since he came up here. So let's go to the clip. If Vince McMahon says, hey, man, I want you bigger, you're going to take steroids to get bigger. If not, you're not going to have a job. Billy Jack Haynes wrestled for the WWF from 86 to 88 and claims he became addicted to steroids and codeine, an addiction 
that almost killed him. I got to where I was taking 10, 12, 14 a day. I was totally hooked on codeine. And I had a bad reaction on a plane going from Detroit to Miami to wrestle there. And I had an emergency stop in North Carolina. I even know I woke up in the hospital and I was on intravenous and they said they had to either give me shock treatment or a pacemaker. So I took the shock treatment. I made it. I'm still alive today. Two days later, Vince McMahon phoned me at home and said, hey, if you don't make San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Oakland, you're not going to be with the World Wrestling Federation no more. Look at that. They got Dr. D, David Schultz, was the quintessential bad guy bully in the WWF. Although many fans knew him as Dr. Death, you might remember him as the man who roughed up ABC's 2020 correspondent, John Stossel. You think it's safe to come after the attack, Schultz was fired, but he claims he was set up when he knocked Stossel down. In court papers, Dr. D says the real villain is Vince McMahon. And they do show uh, the transcript from what I guess is Schultz's deposition, and it does say, you tear his ass up. Uh, there it is, yeah. Plain print. Yes. He said, David, there's a guy here doing a national TV show. He's making a joke out of the business. I want you to tear his ass up. I want you to blast him and stay in character. I heard Vince say that I guess maybe I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't so have done what? Shouldn't have told him to slap him. Jim Stewart was Vince McMahon's personal limo driver from 1985 until he was fired in 1990. He claims Schultz wasn't his only setup. The way he goes through people and abuses people and, and then, then throws them away. He's a pig. I was fired because I wouldn't have sex with the vice president of operations. He has the same timber to his voice and the same delivery every fucking time he says it. <laughs> it's uncanny. Yeah. Same tone. It's, it's like it's pre-rehearsed. It's like he looked at the mirror and just, would say, and just constantly would say those words for these Combing interviews. Combing his hair as he says it. Yes. Let's hear that again. Throws him away. He's a pig. I was fired because I wouldn't have sex with the vice president of operations. I was fired because I wouldn't have sex with the vice president of operations. It, it looks like he just stepped out of the pages of GQ magazine, too, here. Yeah. Murray Hodgson was hired by Vince McMahon and signed a two-year contract with the WWF. There he is Mark Jennings. Pat Patterson, the vice president of operations, was never charged with sexual harassment, but resigned. You can't be. It's not a crime. <laughs> it's a civil tort. Signed when Hodgson filed suit. I just told him, I'm sorry, you've got the wrong guy. And he candidly told me, not if I wanted to keep my job, I didn't, and that I should think about it. I turned him down, and just a few weeks later, I was out on the street without a job. Can you answer any of the allegations for me now? No, I cannot. Okay, but you're the one that runs the company. Why can't you answer the questions for me? So we've talked with Steve Planeman and he's told us that uh, you were not available to talk with us. I'd suggest we chat with him again. I will. When we did call the WWF back the next day, we were told Vince McMahon refused to answer any of the allegations. Vince Rollins and Mercedes. Federation did send us a letter dated April 27, 1992 in which Murray Hodgson asked Vince McMahon for work. It kind of makes you wonder, in this phony world of good versus evil, if the real villains are working inside or outside the ring. 
Murray Hodgson's lawsuit against Vince McMahon is expected to go to court. This the Mariana Boyle. Now up next, the hotel. Okay. Um, okay, time to read the letter, I guess. Yes, let's go. This is, I want to talk about this. All right, so the torch uh, has the most puzzling new addition to this story was a letter sent to Current Affair Monday, one day before the feature was originally supposed to air, written to Vincent Mann by Murray Hodgson. It read, quote, the second annual WF Championships are coming soon, and I would like to offer my services as host at the Personal Fitness Expo and as an announcer for the live event, much the same as my duties last year in Atlantic City. Which I will There's not nothing. be reprising because I was I wouldn't have sex with your vice president of operations, and then I was fired <laughs> two weeks later. <laughs> There's nothing like consistency, and no doubt my reputation precedes itself with the World, World, World Bodybuilding Federation, from your wife Linda to Jonathan Flora. Retta Logan and Peter Kleinschmidt all spoke very highly of my performance last year, and the producers of the live show were emphatic about wanting my voice exclusively for their show. Obviously, I have a lot of spare time on my hands, <laughs> and this will be a great opportunity for me to make some extra money as well. It would also give you the reassurance that the job will get done in a fashion expected of such a first-class production. If you'd like to discuss details, I'd love to talk to somebody from your office. I remember in our meeting last August 91, you mentioned you would like to use me for occasional freelance voice work, and this is like the best place to start. I look forward to hearing from your office at your leisure, and best of luck and continued success with the World Bodybuilding Federation. And then Wade follows up, this letter has brought into question the credibility of Hodson and conjecture that he has been paid off. The timing of the letter one day for a current affair was to air is suspicious. This letter, according to some familiar with the law, damages Hodgson's lawsuit against WF. It's a subsidiary of Titan Sports that was not mentioned by Hodgson in his letter. However, time will tell. Hodgson does not deny writing the letter, but ironically spoke to Jeff Savage the day after the letter was written and did not speak highly of McMahon. Also, there is no WWF subsidiary of Titan Sports. There is no corporate WBF and WWF. There's just Titan Sports doing business as the WBF and WWF. All right, there's more in the letter here because I want to keep going here so, yeah. so we, we complete it and then I can go off. Excerpt from No New Tales on a Current Affair by Alice Marvez, three-count editor. The facet of the story that will likely linger the longest concerns a letter written by Murray Hodgson to McMahon dated April 27th. In the letter, Hodgson, who claims he was fired from a two-year contract because he would not have sexual relations with WF matchmaker Pat Patterson, asked McMahon if he could work for the World Bodybuilding Federation at their June 13th uh, pay-per-view show. The letter was originally thought to reflect a secret financial settlement between McMahon and Hodgson before depositions were taken for Hodgson's breach of contract lawsuit in Connecticut State Court. However, Hodgson's attorney Ed Nussbaum said no settlement was reached and the suit proceeded schedule. It's hard to say why Murray wrote that letter, Nussbaum said. There are two reasons. The first is Murray probably given more tongue-in-cheek to try and goose McMahon. The second is that at the time Murray's contract was terminated, Vincent Mann extended the possibility to Murray about possibly doing some independent contracting. This wasn't well thought out on Murray's part, but it's not something that will have any impact or value on the case. Nussbaum said Hodgson's contract was worth a total of $165,000, which is why the $160,000 figure, $160, figure being banned about as what Hodgson was looking for as a settlement may be written within reason. Depositions in the trial were delayed when Jeremy Devitt, Hulk Hogan's attorney, who re represented WF in the Hodgson suit, applied for a license to practice law in Connecticut. Once the process gets approved, which will likely happen later this week. It'll probably be late May, early June until the depositions are taken in of Hodgson, Mittman, or Patterson. All right, looking now. Okay, so that's about it for the letter. All, All right, right, okay. Yes. yes, oh, yes. So, Murray Hodgson is going on all these fucking television shows. 
with his prearranged story that he's been practicing in the mirror every day. Wait, which prearranged story? The one about how I was propositioned by your vice president of operations. And when I wouldn't have sex with him, whatever. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. He's asking for work. Mm-hmm. He's asking for fucking work. Mm-hmm. And just ki- and basically kissing ass mm-hmm. in that letter, too. So Name dropping. Yes. I mean, th- this this right here totally should kill his credibility in every way. You know, this coming out there and showing this letter and with the transcript of this letter, this should kill him immediately. That this guy is begging for work. Mm-hmm. So now what this also does is it puts, you know, the whole thing of asking for payoff before Donahue in the question. Maybe he really was. I wouldn't put it past him. Now, I mean, we see, we're seeing him begging for work here because, all right, when did Donahue air? That would be March 16th. So we're a month later, over a month later, and here he is begging for work. Now, when did Geraldo air? Geraldo, the Geraldo proper? Yeah, the show with, with him and, and Rita Marie. That was, I want to say that went up on satellite on April 10th, so probably taped a day or two before, maybe? So he's on that show with Rita Marie, who's on there, you know, pouring her heart out with, with, with these stories that she has. He's up there, as we said on last show, looking obviously uncomfortable. And then after that happens, not, not even, I mean, basically two weeks after that happens, is writing a letter begging for work. What a fucking bitch. <laughs> He's probably also finding out at this point from people in his past lives what uh, Titan has on him as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, Jesus. I mean, what a... What a fucking snake. I mean, he is a total snake. And, you know, it, it's people like him and, and stuff like that that makes it where people can cast doubt on any type of sexual harassment claims. Mm-hmm. You know? And there's been a lot of them. He's, not, he's far from the only one. There's been a lot of people that's lied about it. Lied about that. Lied about sexual abuse. Lied about that stuff. And that is what people can always bring up well you know what about so-and-so they say they were abused but they lied you know i mean it's stuff like that that just it, it, it makes it bad for the legit people that have had their you know had this happen to them to come forward and 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 expect everybody to basically believe their their claims yeah i mean look Whatever anyone thinks of jo- the Johnny Depp Amber Heard stuff, I am not getting into the actual facts of it. It's clear from, you know, the Facebook, uh, you know, ad-buying records that people can peruse that have been reported on that there were people like the Daily Wire who were making a concerted effort to promote, inac- you know, in this in the specific case, inaccurate stories with a certain framing... That would have no, where the articles would not yet rate anywhere close to the revenue that they spent on those ads. And clearly well, that a, was to cast, and the only reason you can think of it is to try to cast out on any other 
women who were to come forward in general about, you know, abuse stories. Well, here's another thing with that, too, is um, Johnny Depp has this huge fan base of women who were defending him vociferously. And, I mean, that that was a big deal in his favor. I mean, he, oh, no, I mean, no, no, it, I know. And I'm, I'm not talking about the facts of the case or the verdict or anything. I'm just talking about how you have Daily Wire spending what was it was like I want to say at least mid five figures per article on these ads to send people to these articles. And there's only one reason you would do that. It has nothing to do with the underlying case. It has to do with that you want to cast doubt on other women who would come forward with allegations about people. But the thing about Depp, the, again, the, the Depp. Depp is somebody who, I mean, if that had been, I'm just going to just throw out a random name. If that was like Nick Totoro or something like that, I mean, <laughs> just a random name, Nick Totoro. If that was some, an actor of that ilk that was had these claims that Amber Heard was throwing out there, it would be totally different. It's Johnny Depp who is this this figure – that these women love, especially the Jack Sparrow character, and they're going to believe him no matter what, you know. And they they were the hardest supporters for him. You go online, and I mean, guys really didn't give a shit about this. This appealed directly towards women, and so you have all these women that immediately, and they don't like Amber Heard anyway because she was with Johnny Depp and they weren't. I mean, so you just got that too. Part of that's involved in this and can't deny it. And you have that going against it. I mean, it, it it was a perfect storm for Johnny Depp to be the guy who had the most favor in the court of public opinion. I mean, that's just a matter of fact. He was going to have the court of public opinion on his side, no matter what. And, and I mean, there had been a con- – like for years, like I'm guessing you're like me. Before the media push started, and I do want to get back to Murray in a second – I never looked into it, but like, if you heard about this, it was just some random internet person bringing it up and saying she was a liar. Like that was always the context you well, heard of it before the last several months. Well, here's the thing, you know, I've told you this. I think they're both guilty of shit. You know, I think they're both they were both sociopaths. You know, but it doesn't it doesn't mean they you know like I said they're both guilty. So, and that's also guilty. besides the point of who was right in terms of the actual lawsuit. Where exactly. you can make a good I, I, argument that she didn't defame him, regardless. But exactly, I think I think both of them are, are you know are, are at fault for what they did. So uh, again, it's just it's stupidity. But you know, I mean, Hodgson, Hodgson's a fucking piece of shit. And again, he just it's for people like him that just make it so hard for for people with legit beefs. Yeah. To uh to to get what they should get coming to them, you know so. Yeah, um, real quick, since I hadn't, I don't think I've read it in this series yet. Let me see, do I have the Jerry McDivitt? Okay, here we go. Um, the What Jerry McDivitt said to me about Murray Hodgson in an email, in the deposition. Because I think I relayed it in my own words, but let's let's see what he actually wrote to me. Um, I want to make sure I'm finding the right part. Uh... This might not be the right one, actually. Hold on. Um, I'll I'll try to find it, but I guess we move move on for now because I thought – oh, here we go. It was another email thread. Uh, All right. 
here's what here's what he said to me. This is six years ago. Hodgson lied about so many things. We need a catalog. He lied about what judges had said about him previously, about whether he was gay, about whether he had trolled gay websites. I don't think he means websites, but whatever. I'm guessing he means classifieds and stuff. Trying to find a guy still in the closet, and then he would threaten to out them, whether he had a boyfriend named, I'm not going to give the guy's name, who told us about various cons that guy ran. It was on in video, and his lawyer, Ed Nussbaum, who had been Sergeant Slaughter's counsel for years, literally called timeout and told me, he was withdrawing as counsel ASAP. Ed is in Stanford. I'm sure he could tell you more. Um, the more I think about it, I think it was personal ads and 800 lines where you could do gay chats. He was a vicious predator. The video of it all really is an amazing thing to watch. I let him lie all morning about one thing after another, then spent the afternoon showing all the lies after reminding him what he said in the morning. Uh, as he was being exposed, Hodgson kept gulping water from the, this glass. Long after it was empty, he kept trying to drink from it and dr and clanking it empty on the table as if we were not noticing that there was nothing in it. <laughs> but, 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 hey, Jerry McDivitt, whether you like him or not, he's an amazing <laughs> he's lawyer. Great, he's a great at what he does. I mean, yeah. look, look, at, look at his track record. He's great at what he does. <laughs> trying to drink out of a glass with nothing in it. Yes. And <laughs> so now we go back to the Observer where we have some weird side story to the current affair stuff. But if that was bizarre, what was going on behind the scenes and putting together the story was far more bizarre. This probably best explains John Stone's despair in putting it together. Who's John Stone? I think the, the whichever current affair reporter was anchoring the segment. Let me see if it's at the beginning here. Okay, well, you find that while I read. John Stone's despair in putting together the close of comments that's hard to tell the good guys from oh, the John villain. John Johnston, not John Stone. John Johnston, there we go. Both in and out of the ring. A new personality came forward, claiming his name was Paul Baumgartner, claiming to be a former pro wrestler. To now can be told producer Brutskowski. Baumgartner is apparently a small time independent promoter in Ohio reality. According to Skolsky, he claimed to have a videotape showing something in fairness to the person he claims it is of. We shouldn't elaborate on because I don't believe for a second he has such a video. But if he had what he claimed, it would have been enough of a story that now can be told was going to do a follow-up pro wrestling segment based on climaxing the show with that video. In a later conversation, Bob Gartner claimed to have been good friends with Rita Chatterton, the woman who's gone on two television shows to talk about an incident involving a man directly. Baumgartner supposedly told Skolsky that he didn't know for certain, but that he believed Chatterton's claim. He later claimed that there were parties trying to get him to change his story to discredit Chatterton. Just a few days later, McMahon's attorney, Jerry McDevitt, comes forward to a current affair with a man named Bill Gardner, who they claim was coming forward to say Chatterton told him he was making up her story. A current affair interviewed the man in what was supposedly his home in Ohio, who claimed to have been a former wrestler with WF and then Vincent Man Sr., using the name The Wolfman. There was a WWF wrestler in the late 60s and early 70s who used the ring name The Wolfman, but that was Willie Farkas. And Dave knows that, has no idea if that was the same person. He told him he was coming forward because he knew Chatterton was making up her story because she had told him personally. He also said Chatterton would never go to court in her claim because he would be there to testify for McMahon against her. He went on to say that he was coming forward because McMahon was such a great man and had done so much good for the wrestling business and done so much work for charity and was being unfairly accused. Chatterton's attorney, Robert Wolf, said that Chatterton had never heard nor remembers even meeting a Bill Gardner 
or a Paul Baumgartner or the Wolfman, let alone what he claims he told her. Wolf theorized something strange based on a conversation he had a few days earlier with Skolski, who told him that an ex-wrestler named Paul Baumgartner had claimed to her that someone was attempting to get him to discredit Chatterton. This is crazy. As it turns out, Gardner and Baumgartner, according to Skolski, are the same person. His phone was disconnected the next day, and a current affair is investigating him. Found out the house he claimed was his, that the interview him in wasn't his. They contacted McDevitt, who denied McMahon's involvement in this, and said that Gardner had to disconnect his phone because he claimed he was being inundated with harassing phone messages from Chatterton. The current affair said they were going to show clips of the interview with Chatterton and with Gardner on the piece and also uncover what they learned about Gardner. However, that segment of the story was edited out because the piece had to be shortened because of a late edition piece to the show that evening covering the riots in Los Angeles. Damn you. Damn you, riots. In addition, Lee Cole, the older brother Tom Cole, the former and current WF Marine boy whose claims of being sexually abused between the ages of 13 and 19 by three members of WF's management, led to this story garnering so much media attention, asked the current affair if he could be interviewed for the piece. He claimed he wanted to set the record straight in an interview where he would tell them a story negative to WF about the settlement and talk about the terms of the agreement made between his brother and the WF. However, Cole, just before he was scheduled to leave for the interview, allegedly asked for $2,500 to do the interview and was turned down. Okay. They bring... Dave brings us something here in this whole thing that we've now hit that time that I think with it happening totally changes the media covering this story and other stories like this in particular, the LA riots. Mm-hmm. When you have, when you have something like that, a major story that is going on like that was at that time, then stories like this, would either be buried to, you know, a peripheral spot on the on a show or just not covered basically at all. Mm-hmm. It's left. It's it's, you know, it, it's basically the um, uh, it's the Chandra Levy to 9-11 type thing. Remember that? Which the, also ended up being bad for Con Gary Condit because it Gary Condit, yeah, because it fell out of view by the time it turned out he had nothing to do with it. Yeah, the whole Gary Condit Chandra Levy thing, yes, which was a major story in this country, and then nine eleven hits and that knocks it out completely. Mm-hmm. So the Rodney King riots totally changes, you know, a lot of the media's trajectory on covering stories like this. They're going to spend most of their time covering that. Now, but go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, about Gardner, Baumgartner, whatever the fuck his name is. Okay. Reading this, as you're going through all this, the gears in my head are turning. This is all conjecture on my part, but... So, three and a half years later, when we hear about Marty Bergman, what do we hear? That he would go to media as both a friendly who was going to help them get dirt on WWF. And at other times, he was pretending, you know, to be... He was, you know, pretending to be, you know, either his brother or confuse people with his brother, who was, you know, the legendary uh, 60 Minutes producer, uh, Lowell Bergman, or whatever, in a way... And he was being sneakier in a different way to get information about WWF, or, or he'd be claiming to be on the WWF side, or whatever. Boy, does this feel like it has Marty Bergman's fingerprints all over it. Mm-hmm. It's almost exact. Yeah. Huh. Very interesting. And also, 
But McDevitt put put him in touch with Current Affair. Uh-huh. But also, there's no reason to think that Laura Brevetti's in the mix yet either, which makes you wonder <laughs> if it's not Marty Bergman so much as... McDevitt? I wouldn't go far as to say that, but I get what you're it, that it would be coming from that side, and wouldn't that kind of plan would not necessarily be his idea in and of itself. I guess was what I was trying to say. Um, but you know, I have and I've posted, you know, the FBI docs that at least were released under Freedom of Information Act to me about Bergman. There's nothing about this, but I guess it's not really obstruction of justice or anything at this time, so they wouldn't be looking into it. Um, huh. And I guess we should we should note too, because no one knows this at the time, the first subpoena that Titan got making them aware of the grand jury was the day of WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. So they they know when most people don't that shit is on in a way that in a way that is a very big deal. Yes. What a weird so I wonder who this who do you think this was? Who knows? <laughs> but that's why that's something I I don't think I've ever heard of this story talked about since it happened. It's first I've really heard of it. I remember most of the other stuff from around the scandal like shows, and I don't remember this. Like, you know, even in going back over coverage, I did not remember this whole thing. <laughs> It's pretty wild. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I know who I need to send a message to about looking into this. <laughs> yeah. Someone who may or may not have won a Pulitzer Prize at any point. But anyway. <laughs> In the first of what appears to be a series of second-round print articles covering these scandals, a northern New Jersey weekly entertainment magazine called Steppin' Out ran a cover story this week called WF Exposed by Chauncey Hayden. There we go. That's you a mean name our Twitter acquaintance, Chauncey, Chauncey uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, now Chauncey DeVega, yes. Yes. That's a blast in the past. The story was a question and answer of an anonymous source who claimed to have wrestled with WF from 1982 to 1986 and also claimed to have been a black market steroid distributor for many of WF wrestlers during that time period. The source talked about the in-ring mechanics of what goes on in the ring and the steroid and homosexuality charges. In regards to those charges, he said, there's not one wrestler that doesn't know what goes on in the business. It's just amazing that it took so long for the public to find out. Steroid abuse is the most openly blatant thing, although sometimes homosexuality can be blatant too. I'm going on record as saying that 90% of all professional wrestlers use steroids. Hulk Hogan was probably one of the biggest steroid users. I wouldn't say he took the most steroids, but he took steroids about as long as anybody. The man claimed to have sold steroids personally to 43% of WF wrestlers, including Hogan, who he claimed to have been using steroids for 15 to 20 years. Most sources peg Hogan's first alleged encounters at around 1977. In answering the questions of whether promoters tell the wrestlers to take steroids, he responded, you could say it's the wrestler's own decision, but actually they're forced to a situation where they have to take steroids because the bigger they are, the stronger they look, and the better they look. The more they more they get. For example, I remember Ricky Steamboat starting to really get small because of being on the road seven days a week and not being able to train to tear you down. You can't stay big. And I remember it being suggested to Steamboat that he might take a little something to get bigger because he had big matches coming up which at the time was WrestleMania match with Macho Man Savage. His comment about Hogan's denials on steroids were, that's a blatant lie. I'm not going to say I condemn him because he's got a career to protect. He's just trying to protect what's his. But there's two ways of doing that. One way is to lie. I saw Hogan on Arsenio Hall show. It was one big joke to anyone in the business. What a joke to go on a national talk show and blatantly lie through his teeth. He said he took steroids once for a bicep injury. 
That's the biggest crock of shit in the world. The source went on to say that Sergeant Slaughter doesn't take steroids, but says you don't get to look like Sid Justice or Ultimate Warrior without him. The one comment which earned a lot of the credibility of this story was his estimate that the 60% involved in the pro wrestling business being homosexual, which is a ludicrous figure. He named Patterson and Garvin, among others, individually, along with one WF big name wrestler, and said Patterson and said about Patterson that he had a lot of power, so if you would do him a favor, he would book you on good shows where you can make big money. He named one wrestler in particular, the same name everyone mentions, as benefiting from performing favors, and called him Patterson's boyfriend, and said him a man knew about everything. When asked if it's wrong that children look up to wrestlers as their heroes, he responded, that's a tough question. It's a joke that kids look up to these guys, because like I said, some are homosexual, some are drug users, and not just steroids, there's cocaine, percodan, pot, and alcohol. I mean, it's widespread, like any professional sport. These guys are something to be laughed at, not looked up to by any kids. Aside from the ridiculously exaggerated estimate of homosexuality in the business, the source, if he wasn't a legit wrestler and dealer, had a good working knowledge of backstage gossip. However, anyone close to the business with a little experience discussing steroid use with wrestlers could also have enough knowledge to pull it off. One wrestler he mentioned specifically as a regular steroid user did regularly purchase the drugs from a New Jersey black market dealer. Do we have any idea who this was? Do we know of any New Jersey-based wrestlers who have reps for being steroid dealers in that era? I don't think so. 1982 to 1986. New Jersey based. I mean, that that could have been anybody. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of guys that were, like, I mean, job guys, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So it could have been a few people. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, any other thoughts on this? You think it's true? Possibly. Obviously, it's not the 60% homosexual thing, but... No. Um, and Oh, no, you can't look up to them. Not homosexuals. But... <laughs> it, I, so we're to... Are we assuming that name was mentioned in the actual article? It seems like Dave is saying it was, right? For, yes. Uh, Pat's boyfriend. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting. So okay, so now we have. Well, we brought it up on the main show. We ended up saying it to uh, protect ourselves, just in case, uh, with regards to uh, the comments of one Robert O'Connor. But like, it, it you know, it's not the only article that comes out in actual print publication that says that Steve Lombardi was Patterson's boyfriend. It's something that's always been joked about for years. Yeah, it's it's something that people know. You know. Yeah. So. And we should know, it's like we, I think we said in one of the first parts, I think maybe part one, or it was either part one or maybe the, um, the show we did for the first week of March. Patterson trained him anyway. I don't think that's in dispute, right? Yeah. So he would have probably gotten preferential treatment regardless. So, whatever. But, yeah. anyway, now we go back to the world of radio. <laughs> Except from three counts transcript of Barry Orton's appearance on Rick Carter's WrestleTalk Radio Show on April 19th with Rick Carter, Bill Kunkel, and Dan Farron asking the questions. So I, I will play the roles of, of Rick Carter, Bill Kunkel, and Dan Farron, and you will be Barry Orton. Was Dan Farron wearing his mask during this? His... The mask Dan Farron? Well, uh, well, no, the mask Dan Farron is Mike Enos, but he did also wear a mask as the referee on Secrets of Pro Wrestling finally revealed. Yeah, there's that too. But anyway. All right, so we start with Kunkel. A Wrestling Observer story a few issues ago 
originated with you, where something happened for the Donahue show where a message arrived. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> well, does everyone understand that Vince was planning on having someone say Tom Cole's name? Okay, well, let me set this up then. Vince has already, as you go into the studio to do the Donahue show, cut a deal with Tom Cole. It has been established that the minute anyone mentions Tom Cole's name on the air, Tom will stand up, run to Vince's side, embrace him in fatherly fashion, and say, Vince is the only person who really cared for me. You guys are parasites and vultures. Barry, can you give us some insight into why that happened? I guess that was Vince expecting someone to say Tom Cole. Then Rick chimes in with, I wonder where Vince would get an idea like that. I don't have any idea except for the fact that perhaps... <laughs> okay, let me set this up for everyone. Tom Cole's brother Lee called me every day saying we're going to sue. We're going to go to court. We're not going to settle out of court. Hey, thank you very much for coming forward, etc. I don't want to make him look any more like a putz than he actually is. But he is a really big putz. So sue me. He calls me up and says, Barry, everyone's worried that we're not going to really go to court and press charges. And I'm like, why are they worried about that? And he said, I don't know. We're going to go to court. And I said, okay, because I don't have any reason not to believe this guy. Uh, did Lee Cole mention he was an atheist? Is he an atheist? No, because he swore he was going to file suit. What am I, swearing? <laughs> I'm an agnostic. You know, you would think about it just to get off the subject for a few minutes. In Ireland, you wonder what it would be like if I was the Catholics fighting the agnostics. Hey, you bloody non-believer. Hey, you bloody can't make your mind up. <laughs> anyway, to make a long story longer, I'd like to add flavor to what I'd like to talk about. Lee was calling me three or four times a day, giving me all these lines of hoopla and bullshit. And uh, Orton's saying these while making a whiny child's voice. I was molested when I was a kid. Wah, wah. Editor's note, Cole's attorney, Alan Fuchsberg, said that man claimed he was sexually molested as a child of Tom Cole during a five-hour meeting between the two parties March 15th. Yeah, sure, Vince. But this little kid believed him, and he paid the kid off. Now they're waiting for someone to say on Donahue the name Tom Cole. It was already predetermined in my mind that there was no reason to say this guy's name. The night before, I went to Donahue, and there was a mystery phone call from Lee Cole saying, Barry, this is urgent. It's okay to use Tom's name, but not use mine? Jeez, Tom's name slipped my mind. Sorry, man. By the way, Vince, thanks for the plug. I'm running a book. Case closed. End of story. What else you guys want to know? Is Vince McMahon a liar? That <laughs> Barry Orton's something else, ain't he? <laughs> what a hoot. What are your thoughts on this, Bix? They're being a little too jocular, given the subject matter, at a minimum. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, my goodness. That was quite the segment there. <laughs> yeah. Good Lord. Oh, my God. All right, let's go to the week of May 11th, Torch May 14th, Observer May 18th, John Arezzi for a Spotlight May 18th. We have extra from Mary Hodgson dismisses the letter by John Arezzi and Perosa Spotlight. Oh, this should be good. Since the public discourse of his recent letter to Vincent Mann, Murray Hodgson has come under criticism from those covering the story who wonder why he would send such a request to a man he was trying to sue. In a conversation I had with him on May 2nd, Murray blew it off. That was nothing, Murray said. The letter's point was to prove how positive the people in the company thought of me last year. Murray was upset that Current Affair didn't read the entire letter. It makes it sound as I'm begging for my job back, which is the furthest thing from the truth. No, you were begging for your fucking job back. Fucking sociopath. 
<laughs> and if they would have put the entire letter out there, it made him look even fucking worse. Fucking idiot. <laughs> How positive the people in the company thought about me what last does year. He even think, what does he even thinking when he says this? Let, let's go to the Observer and then the Torch with the Murray the th- in there. Yeah. yeah. The only thing new on the Murray Hodgson lawsuit against Titan Sports is that Titan lawyer Jeremy Devitt was admitted to the Connecticut Bar, excuse me, by the Connecticut Bar for the case this past Tuesday, according to Hodgson's lawyer Ed Nussbaum. Well, I mean, Devin has claimed to other reporters that delaying depositions was because Hodgson no-showed depositions. That isn't the case because depositions couldn't have started at that point since but Devin hadn't even been admitted by the Connecticut Bar on the original late uh, April deposition date. A new deposition date was scheduled for this coming week, although Titan received another postponement and it won't be taking place. A correction from last week, we reported that Nussbaum had gotten an injunction keeping Titan from videotaping Hodgson's deposition, but in fact, Titan at press time will still be able to video Hodgson's deposition but it won't be allowed to edit the tape and release it to the press, although Titan is attempting to get that decision overruled this week. Let's go to the torch. Hodgson's deposition was rescheduled for this week, although that was also postponed, apparently due to WF delaying. McDevitt told the torch weekly that the original deposition was postponed because Hodgson no-showed and is scared about what will come out from his past. McDevitt just laughed when talked about Hodgson's past and called him, quote, this is McDevitt's words, a flaming fucking fag. Unquote. Both Hosh's attorney and McDevitt claim they want the deposition to be taped. When McDevitt even offered to send Torch Weekly a copy of the tape. Oh, wow. I wonder if McDevitt was talking to Wade directly on that one, because that would have been an interesting uh, conversation. He, he was. It seems. Oh, 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 oh. So, Wade Keller, uh, in the span of. Less than a year. Less than a year had the Bill Watts interview, and then Murray Hodgson, I mean, Mur- and then Jeremy Devitt <laughs> saying those words about Murray Hodgson. Oh my goodness. Yeah, which, again, we should note, like, yes, he did say at one point, oh, I wish I was gay, so then, you know, I could throw this homophobia claim back in their faces, but yeah, it goes to his credibility a little bit. It's not really an issue. It's not really a major issue in any real way until he lies about it under oath. So that's the thing. Never mind to put it the way that Jerry did here. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's crazy. I wasn't expecting that to come from McDevitt. There you go. But anyway, wow. All right, so uh, back to the Observer. Two of the muscle magazines that just hit the newsstands had items relating to pro wrestling. The new Muscular Development, a straightforward middle-of-the-road publication, has a negative article on the steroid testosterone, talking about how simple it is to beat a steroid test using the various forms of testosterone since it clears the system quickly and listing ways to use the drug in conjunction with epitestosterone injections and never having to fear getting caught in steroid tests. The author, Dr. Michael Colgan, claimed temporary and even permanent impotence as a potential side effect from too much testosterone. In the underground, it's generally knowledge using the wrong steroids can lower one's sperm count and make it difficult, sometimes impossible, to impregnate, but that the effect is temporary and the body goes back to normal upon succession of the drugs. Colgan said the effect is sometimes permanent and said that's why some of the biggest names in bodybuilding and professional wrestling spend tens of thousands of dollars on specialist hormone treatment trying to get back their virility. That's the first I've heard of that, so I'm somewhat skeptical of it. In the same magazine, in a gossip article by former wrestler Don Ross, a.k.a. Ripper Savage, when talking about the WBS new steroid testing program, 
He claimed the program was developed because of media pressure after some former wrestlers turned crybabies sought revenge on their former boss. Ross also wrote, most WBF contestants I spoke to say they will comply with the tests and new rules. Some object to the knock-on-your-door and test policy that they consider an invasion of privacy, along with a common complaint that they were told that they would not be tested when they signed their contracts, so the contract stated that testing may be done. A surprise announcement three months before the show won't give those on steroids a chance to build back up naturally by contest time, and most fear they'll be soft and small by showtime. Never want to be soft and small. Muslim International, a gossiping-oriented magazine, had an interview with a supposed anonymous major steroid dealer. We're starting to have an epidemic of this. Who spoke about steroids, claiming to the, of the thousands he dealt the drug to, that nobody ever had a bad side effect, and also about the pro wrestlers. He said pro wrestlers never get off the stuff and said people always complain about bodybuilders using steroids, but never talk about how much testosterone Paul Orndorff, the name he used, uses. He also wrote when talking about steroid use in various sports that pro wrestlers never get off the stuff and claims some of them – some of them testes, have testes the size of peas. Yeesh, probably exaggerated. Yeah, another note, the same issue talked about the death of Buzz Sawyer. It was a second or third lead store in the gossip section and claimed that a certain WBF competitor's annual drug bill exceeded $100,000 and said some WBF wrestlers weren't far behind. That figure sounds high for bodybuilders, but I wouldn't really know. But I can't see any wrestler except for maybe one or two who could even afford a drug bill like that. And it doesn't sound plausible that those, of those few that any of them are even heavy users. P uh, testes the size of peas, Bix. I'm not sure how literal that is. <laughs> but the impetus thing and the stuff about the pregnancies, we, I mean, we know that for a fact. I mean, yeah. look at the wrestlers that have tried to, you know, get their wives or girlfriends pregnant. They have to get off steroids. Yeah. And then they have to take something to kickstart their natural production, too. Mm-hmm. So what do you make of this article? Seems fairly legit. I mean, well, you mean the de- the dealer one or the other one? I'll about the dealer one first. Um, I mean, I think he's full of shit about a lot of the stuff he's talking about, as far as like zero side effects and all that. How about all these, uh, you know, uh, these uh, hidden steroid dealers come out the woodworks too? Hey, are you surprised? No, that's what happens, and, and you know controversies like this all right so what about ripper savage huh <laughs> uh, cry babies he seems a lot more credible that story seems a bit more uh, straight up <laughs> jesus yeah what a story <laughs> all right uh issue to see personal illustrated family magazines report on the donahue show and overall do scandals and recent issues even though the relationship with WF were probably as good as they've been in years, since Bill After has always been friends with J.J. Dillon, the stories were not at all apologetic and favorable to WF. If anything, they, while not strongly painting the man in position as being dishonest. Well, I mean, what do they got to lose? No, I mean, at this point. I mean, they've been enemies with WF before, and they still were able to get access and do things, so why not? Well, so they know they're needed at this point more than they have been before. So yeah, and there's that. There's that. There's too. more leeway in general that they know they have to work with. Yes. So, not a surprise there. Uh, Caravan Air was pulled from the road for unspecified reasons, but is suspended and has been doing PR work over the past few weeks. He's scheduled to return for, to action Friday in Houston. Huh. 
So there's that. Yes. And time to go back downhill again, sadly. Uh, some of the suspicions may be related to Dr. Mauro Di Pasquale taking over a steroid program from Dr. Anthony Daly in the beginning of this month. If Di Pasquale can really catch all the users, as he claims, expect a few obvious names to be added to the list. If not, well, there's no such thing as an unbeatable drug test. So there. I mean, that's all uh, you can say. I mean, I, what is there to say, even? I mean, that we haven't already talked about. Yeah. All right, let's go to the week of May 18th. Three count, May 19th. Yeah. Taurus, May 21st. Observer, May 25th. Let's go to the Observer. Lee Cole, the other brother Tom Cole, the Rainbow Boyhood story resulting in Pat Patterson, Terry Garvin, and Mel Phillips being gone from the organization, went on WABC Radio New York with Lisa Sliwa and on Rick Carter and Bill Kunkel's Russell Talk Show in Las Vegas in the past week. On the Vegas show, Cole talked in generalities. He admitted to be on probation for a 1982 robbery and claimed that flew a friend of his named Steve to Connecticut to try and gather dirt to discredit Lee Cole, who initially went to Phil Mustick of the New York Post and broke the Rainbow Boy story. His friend, who only went by Steve, was on the Vegas show with him and said Doyle wanted to discredit Lee Cole, but was hesitant about saying much else. This story is even murkier, even murkier water than ever. Okay, do we want to save this for when we hear more from Steve? Because or... I forget if there's more in this part or how much continues next time. Uh, let me check real quick. Uh, wait, I shouldn't just search for Steve. I should search for Lee Cole. Um, give me one second. Okay, you know what? We'll have, we'll have more details on this when we get to the next week we're discussing. So I think okay. we probably hold off until then, because the details okay. I, I can add to that are, are probably uh, better right. served there. Well, you did the notes, so you would know. Yes. All right, Murray Hodges' attorney Edward Nussbaum filed a motion on May 12th in Stanford Norwalk Superior Court to make an attempt to permit him to videotape Vincent Mann, Linda Mann, and Pat Patterson's upcoming depositions in the lawsuit. According to the motion, Nussbaum is requesting that he be responsible for preserving the original videotape and for making all the necessary arrangements. The primary reason for this request is that the demeanor of the deponents is essential to the prosecution of this action, and no prejudice shall be suffered by the deponents and having their depositions recorded by means of videotape. Yes. It, a lot of this seems like it's people not understanding how some of this works anyway. Um, I don't even understand what his argument is, though. <laughs> Who does? Uh, uh, now, right. Granted, we should note, of course, Ed Nussbaum would, you know, as we alluded to earlier, walk walk out on the deposition, apologize to all of the Titan Council, and ask if there was any way to help for him to help Pat Patterson get his job back. Yeah. From the Pro Wrestling Torch, Stepping Out Magazine's April 3rd to May 6th issue had a cover story of Hulk Hogan. It was poorly written, homophobic, based on an interview with an anonymous alleged former wrestler, and ended with a statement. Stepping Out Magazine cannot substantiate the preceding allegations. It was a rehash of most of Titan Gate stuff with a few new items. <sighs> That's always something you want to write when you when you're covering that kind of thing. We can't substantiate these allegations. Yeah. What the fuck? What the yeah. fuck? Excerpt from Spotlight on Vince Russo by Alex Marvest, three count editor. All right. Do I play Alex and you play Vince? Uh, I'm playing. No, we're gonna switch it up here because of the I'm north play, south part. Yes, I'm gonna play Alex Marvez and you're gonna play Vince Russo. 
All right, Bill. Right. Give me one second. Um, but you can do you can do Russo better than me. I'm not going to so. do the voice. I'll try to get the rhythm and the in the general spirit of it down. Um, and you know, I cut out the stuff that was strictly about the Arezzi relationship to keep this from going on forever. So it's it's stuff that pertains to to the scandals more directly, or the scandals and the Arezzi relationship. So let's get started, Alex. Where do you feel the object- objectivity went away from Dave Meltzer and John Aresi? The last straw for me was that D- Meltzer told me himself on the phone that he was invited to the steroid symposium. Here you have a major story by the number one wrestling federation in the world, and you have the editor of the New York Times of Professional Wrestling not only being invited to the symposium, but also being offered transportation to the symposium. Yet he refused to go. The reason he refused to go, he told me, is because he felt this was just something for the World Wrestling Federation to hold over his head. For them to say, well, we invited you to the symposium and we flew you in. When he said that to me, you guys shouldn't even be covering this story anymore and I refuse to fall in the same trap. I am a journalist. This is a major story and I'm not going to cover, excuse me, and I'm going to cover it. I'm not going to decide if it is a publicity stunt or not. At this point, John says to me, I'm going in, I'm sneaking in, I'm going to make a fuss to get in. And I told him, John, I am a professional. They asked me to come alone. And I said I would. If you were going to go down there and make a scene, fine. You tell me now, because if that's the case, I don't want any part of it. I'm not going. John said he was doing it, so I said I wasn't going. I hung up with them, and five minutes later he called me back and said he thought about it. It was important to get the story, and I should go. Um, okay. Before we continue, obviously Dave is right here. Yeah. He shouldn't be taking a flight from Titan. No. And (laughs) not mentioned by, you know, Russo, is that Dave offered to send someone who could get there on his own in his place, and they refused to credential that person. Mm Mm-hmm. Which shows that Dave was right. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, we should note that when Russo tells this story in later years, instead of saying this, which is clearly the truth, he says that Dave told him, and I think he even says this in the book, oh, why should I go? It's just going to be all lies anyway. (laughs) So, Vince Russo, everybody. But let's continue. Alex? Yes. Obviously, Dave has covered the story from the onset and has spoken with Vince McMahon. Vince has come out with a statement that contradicts itself later or doesn't make any sense. Do you think that played any role in his decision? Uh, sorry, I scrolled down a little too far. The way I look at it, a steroid symposium was given with him break, breathing down their necks. Every reporter in New York ripping them to shreds. This is a major news event. If you are the editor of the New York Times Professional Wrestling, you go... And it said, you go to this symposium. You go to this symposium, period. I don't care about your past history. You're the New York Times. Everyone looks up to you. You have 5,000 subscribers. How in God's name can you not cover the symposium? I don't care what's happened with McMahon. From my perspective, that totally ruined his objectivity because he was already prejudging it before he even went. But that's not... Okay, this at least suggests that maybe Russo's memory was playing the issue with his later recollection and not the... uh, And not an outright lie later because here he is kind of laying the groundwork for what would become his eventual claim about why Dave didn't go. Um, so that's interesting. And 
So now, though, we go to, so I guess you'll read, you will read these and then I'll respond. Statements that Arezzi made in his interview with Alex that uh, I'll reply to with Russo's responses. The next statements from Arezzi that Russo responded to were made the day after the symposium. Russo told me we really had these guys by the balls. I never said that in my life. I should be struck dead if I ever said that line. He said they laid out the red carpet for him at a symposium. I never said that. I heard that before. He said that in New York Daily News, and I never said that. He started talking about all this stuff about Dr. Mario Di Pasquale and other bullshit. He said he was sitting there with W.S. Wilson and Steve Planamena. It was really nice, having lunch with Linda and Shane McMahon, and they were really nice people. He said Vince even came over and talked to him for half an hour. I never said that because I didn't sit with Steve Planamenta. I didn't eat lunch with Linda and Shane McMahon. They came over and introduced themselves to me. I didn't even eat, to be honest with you. Oh, there we get our first, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, Vince came up to me with Steve Planamenta, and he introduced me to Vince. I had a conversation with them for about five minutes. Maybe about 20 minutes or so later, I talked with Vince McMahon one-on-one -on -one for about five minutes. I asked what they discussed. He said Vince told him that we don't realize how much fun a wrestling radio show can be. I asked, what does that mean? And he said, John, this is our chance. We need WF to make mon any money. We've been spending our wheels for four months not making any money. You have to understand something. I had to at least try to do the voice a little for that one because that's <laughs> one he says a lot. Yeah. Period. In, over the past 30 plus years. Uh, if we are the pro wrestling spotlight, we are not going to be successful without talking to the WWF. I said that from day one. We have a radio show in New York City on a 50,000-watt station. What kind of credibility do we have if the WWF won't even talk to us? I always felt that. And now we go back to Alex. You think they need to talk to you for... You, you think they need to talk to you for you to have credibility? I think we need to talk to them. I mean, they're covering professional wrestling. It's like covering the New York Mets and not being allowed in the locker room. Everybody calling into our show, 90% of the people, wanted to know information about the WWF. They had all WWF questions. This is why all along I tried to build a relationship with Planamenta, and I felt it was not fair to the wrestling fans to not have any communication, bleh, communication with the WWF when 90% of their questions concerned them. From my personal standpoint, my relationship with WWF were cut off about eight butts back in 1991 and didn't make a single bit of difference in my coverage because I knew what was going on anyway. Dave Melzer can vouch for the same thing. What did you hope to get out of the communication process? Just giving the fans what I thought they wanted. Which was? Instead of every week talking to Steve Beverly and Dave Meltzer and Wade Keller, perhaps talking to Ric Flair, Randy Savage, or any wrestler fan wants to talk to. That's what, as a, oh, me, that's what, as a wrestling fan, that's what I would want. So, uh, you know, it's that, that right there, I think, tells the tale. Uh, Russo was so starstruck and wanting to have access to the stars that the fact that, you know, we were talking to these guys that were reporting on the actual news of wrestling, that's not interesting. We need to talk to the stars. We need to have kayfabe interviews that appeal to the, that appeal to the wrestling fans, not having this stuff that is maybe against wrestling you know, reporting at the time, the negative side of wrestling. We need to have more positive side of wrestling on this show. We had the stars on this show. I think that's part of it. And the other part is that he doesn't see this being a viable business if he can't do that. And he went all in on this because the video stores are failing. Yeah. And, 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 and 
to and, and here's the thing with Russo and 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 that rationale, he's probably right. And and, and the business side of things with that radio show, it would be more beneficial for them in a financial sense to be able to have access to Ric Flair, Randy Savage, blah, blah, blah. Right. He is not wrong in that sense. But... So he he's looking at it from a business side of things, but the problem is you're going to sacrifice your integrity for that because the WWF, if you're going to... if if you're going to have that access, you're going to have to play ball on their terms. They're not going to be impartial. You're going to have to play ball on their terms. Yep. Which mean which means no negative stories. So, but I mean that's that's the risk you take in this and that goes still today. You know? Again, that goes back to Titan K2022 with how some people in the wrestling media have uh taken to this story. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of them have access to WF talent, and they're afraid to give it up, mm-hmm. or they actually are d- directly getting paid by World Wrestling Entertainment, or they are working for the a broadcasting arm of the world. Uh, well, you know, a broadcast yeah. partner of World Wrestling Entertainment. I'm not saying a single person there, because we're in different countries. There are other people that have similar. Absolutely, work. absolutely. And the thing is, is that. <sighs> When you're working for a television partner, that that definitely change. I mean, you that definitely weighs on you because that's a whole different story. You I, know, it, it's the reason that ESPN, uh, for certain people, I believe Adam Schefter is one, Brett Okamoto is another. Those guys' official title is not any kind of reporter, editor, whatever. It is sport or league they are covering insider. Yeah, like Adam Schefter with NFL. Yeah. And Adrian Wojnarowski with the NBA. They're insiders. Yes. They're not called reporters or anything resembling. Yes. For they, 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 yeah, they, they, they don't use that word at all. They, you, you do not see ESPN use that word. Yeah. Well, you, you see them use it for someone like, at least with UFC, Mark Ramundi, who's explicitly a reporter. I've seen them use insider on, on, with him on stuff. Have they? Hold on, let me see what Mark's Twitter yeah. profile says at least. Well, he may say differently, but I've seen them say say that. It says combat say, sports may... reporter ESPN. Let me pull up one of his stories. Uh, I could have swore I've seen that on a crawl when he's been attributed to a story. The, well, that's on air, at least. Let me that's see. what, well. Okay, he, on uh, his byline, it's ESPN staff writer. But again, that'd be not reporter, staff yeah, l- writer. But that's a little different. I think Brett might actually say, uh, well, you have that difference too. Because but also, I think ins- it got changed when he started doing the UFC broadcast and they got the UFC deal, though. That's, that's I think, the other difference. Insiders, though, sometimes, as for like the main guys, too, there's that. So. Yes. Okay. No, I'm seeing it now too. Yes. There's like ESPN radio stuff. I'm finding old links for that called him MMA reporter and they stopped doing that after they got the UFC deal and Okamoto started appearing on UFC broadcasts. Yeah. All right. So let's go from the reader's page to the observer. A few weeks ago, I've been listening to a sports radio station, heard the wrestling insiders radio show. I've been removed from the wrestling world for several years now. So I found it interesting to hear what was going on. 
I also happened to see the Gerardo Rivera show where Rita Chatterton was a guest. One of the questions asked of her was, why did you wait so long? I can understand why she did and can relate to her very well. I was involved with some of the Russell's in the mid to late 80s. I saw drug use, sexual abuse, lies, and deception. I saw and was personally involved in a lot of strange things going on. I was at one point the victim of a rape and even a death threat. I wrote to Geraldo Rivera. I wrote to WF. Nobody wanted to hear the story. Geraldo on television seemed so stirred that Rita Chatterton didn't tell her story sooner. Well, Geraldo, I did when it wasn't a hot media story. You didn't listen. Signed, Joan John, Banning, California. Have you ever heard this name before? I'm thinking it's probably an assumed name. I that's well. I think it's an assumed name. Um, and if, and, and 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 I don't blame her. She did. Well, if you hold on, let me see what this uh, record aggregator says. Her name. Okay. It. I, if I mean, if you Google Joan John and and no, it looks like her name is Joan John Ban in California. Actually. Well, how about that? Yeah. Sorry. It was. It was spaced oddly so it made it look like banning was also maybe her last name so it was tricky to read for a second um there does appear to be have been a legitimate joan john band in california so it says 75 now so that would make her 45 and 92 and then in her 30s and the 80s yeah that tracks yeah hmm. but i don't remember ever hearing that name anywhere else do you no but seems like a real person and she's putting her name on it so yeah Interesting, though, that she specifically reached out to the Geraldo Rivera show. Yeah. All right, we continue. I caught your appearance on the Phil Donahue show. You came across as a cool head, the coolest head in attendance. I thought that when the news of the WF scandals first broke, it would be the best thing for business because the business would be forced to clean itself up. It now appears that won't be the case. Media doesn't care. The public sees it as dirty dealings and a dirty business. It's a sad day for wrestling. Sign Ron Martinez, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And Dave notes, Martinez, part of a family, has promoted pro wrestling for many years. Yes, his dad was Pedro Martinez. Mm-hmm. And then there's this. I can't wait until the scandal blows over. I'm sick of hearing about it. I've been a wrestling fan for 12 years, and I've seen so much backstage and at the hotels I can write a book. You know, just as well as I do, a lot of the guys, but not all the guys, go crazy at hotels. Could you imagine if a ring rat was smart enough to turn in one of the wrestlers? I've seen at least 15 different related incidents in bars. I've witnessed drug use in my hotel room by several WF wrestlers who are very big names. I've been asked if I can get drugs by several WF wrestlers. I now stay away from that whole scene. I realize it was going to, going to wind up getting me in trouble. In some ways, I like to tell people what I've seen, but I'm hesitant in telling all people who have entertained me for years. These guys are adults. I have no problem with what they do in private. But there have been times some have been so stoned or mostly drunk that they have become scary. I've been involved in almost a few instances that could have caused trouble for the WF. Name withheld by request. I mean, who knows who that who that is? But it sounds like he's he's wrestling with the situation because you you hear him's like, "I'm tired of this shit," but I saw this happen, and they could have got in trouble. Blah 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 blah. blah. Uh, and then uh, we should go away, and then back to that again. So he's kind of, I don't know, yeah, conflicted, conflicted in his thoughts, but uh. Some interesting letters, though, in this week's Observer. Yeah, you can say that. Yeah. It, it, it's something to just keep in mind, too, is, like, you know, for so much of this stuff, like you said with Phillips earlier, like, and I don't just mean with, you know, sexual misconduct either. Like, there's so much that we just don't know about and never hear about. 
like, you know, we were talking on the main show about, you know, the, the Fresno, Sacramento, whatever arrest thing. I mean, think of how many times there were hotel rampages where the cops didn't show up or things were smoothed over. Oh, yeah. You know, there's just so much. Um, and that's not just a wrestling thing either. You know, wrestling probably oh, no. helps get insulated by being, you know, haha, fake wrestling. Well, I mean, real sports had that for years. You know, I mean, if people knew what some of the most popular athletes did years ago, you know, I'm talking about Michael Jordan in particular, if that stuff was out, was out for public consumption back then, mm -hmm. it changes everything. But Michael Jordan was such a pivotal figure to the NBA and so important to sports in general and these companies that are marketing him, we cannot have anything tarnish that image. Mm -hmm. that's why it was protected that's why things were swept under the rug so yeah different times alright let's go now to the week of May 25th three count May 26th torch May 28th observer June the 1st and John Arezzi's for also spotlight June the 1st we start with the observer Lee Cole the other brother of Tom Cole the ring boy who's not working with WF after striking an out of court summit the day before the Phil Donahue show was on John Arezzi's pro wrestling spotlight radio show this past Sunday night, Cole claimed he knew of six others who met with a similar predicament as his brother. He then admitted to having been convicted of two crimes in the past, a 1982 felony robbery and a 1987 misdemeanor robbery charge, which is on probation for, and claimed they tried to get him sent away on a probation violation because they knew he had the goods on them. Cole once again brought his friend Steve, who we still don't know the last name of, who's, and who's still sounded very nervous on the radio. Steve, on April 30th, met with Tom Cole, Limpton McMahon, and Jeremy Devitt, Ms. Men's attorney, who has suddenly become a major player in all this. And he said he asked him if Lee Cole and Phil Mushnick of the New York Post were involved in the conspiracy, and he said he replied, it would seem like it. Love that conspiracy theory. Steve said early May, Tom called him and offered $4,000 to turn Lee in, and he agreed to do it. But he later called Lee after he never got the money from Tom. Attempts reached WF on Tuesday to get comment on the various statements Cole and others have made and other new charges have come forth during the past week were unsuccessful. Lee Cole said he felt what caused his problem was in his last meeting with McDevitt, where he claimed McDevitt tried to get him to admit that his brother made up the entire story about Mel Phillips and said Phillips was like a father figure to Tom. That Cole admitted to McDevitt he had a lot more information on WF and refused to tell McDevitt what it was as an insurance policy. Murray Hodgson had called up the show and told Cole he shouldn't spend so much time talking about his personal history because that isn't the issue. But Cole said he wanted everything on the table. Hodgson talked about WF delaying the depositions in his case and made a claim that McDevitt would be in a lot of trouble because he claims McDevitt knows WF paid his star witness to say things against Hodgson, which Hodgson claims since he's since retracted and weren't true. If McDevitt did what Hodgson claimed, it would be terribly unethical. And Hodgson even talked about McDevitt being disbarred when this case is all said and done. Since Dave's got a pretty good idea what they're talking about, he can say to star witnesses of no relevance to the issues and that digging up information on Hodgson's past, which Hodgson claims Fairfax Partners investigator Stephen Davis has been doing in Detroit, Hodgson's hometown before moving to Stanford, would be admissible in court to begin with. John Resident has to put both men on the spot, but didn't have time to adequately question Cole, whose story still a lot of questions needing to be answered before time ran out. Hodgson proved once again to be an exceedingly confident-sounding guest, although WF officials have sounded equally confident when talking about his case. One thing for certain, McDevitt did say for Ozone Torch that Hodgson no-showed deposition on April 25th, when in fact McDevitt hadn't even had been approved to practice in Connecticut on that date. 
let's face it, nobody's going to be the perfect witness in the wrestling business with a pristine past. Hodge has never wavered from his original story and even has answers when the question of the letter he sent one of the WBF shows brought up. Having dealt with most of those involved in this story, I can say for a fact that the bad guys in this story, and I don't know who they are for sure, but do know who some of them are, are beneath contempt. I'm just not sure who and how many are the bad guys. But inevitably, the courts and criminal justice system will decide since the U.S. Justice Department does have an ongoing investigation in Titan Sports and Vincent Bad, and they're aware of much of what's going on. In addition, two more youths, one a 15-year-old male who could an incident happen when he was 14, have come forward this past week with similar stories. Please don't rule out the possibility that someone saw Tom Cole was paid $60,000 and got a job, and they may see it as a way to get cash from an organization under the gun. But please don't be so blind to convince yourself that is the case without any further investigation being done on these incidents. You can't rule out the possibility that either or both of these stories are true. Expect a lot more to come from all this over the next month. Tom Cole and Steve Bix. Um, well, Lee Cole, excuse me. Uh, what? Shouldn't I, I think Lee Cole did not do a great job of handling himself in these media appearances? Did he? No, and I mean he wasn't used to it. But we'll get to more in a second. Here's the thing, though. Way to bury the lead, Dave, about the grand jury that apparently you know about <laughs> and no one else does at this point. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> yeah. Alex Marvez's syndicated stories until July. <laughs> Dave how knows is, about it, though. How has no one ever noticed this before? <laughs> I don't, Between the sheets and shows, everybody. Um Yeah. That goes to show you there's a lot that that people know that they don't say, and then they accidentally reveal it in a way, but then people don't catch on to it. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this in part one with Dave and the Vincent Mel Phillips stuff. So, okay. Here's the thing, though, with Lee's story here. And where did I put the folder where I have the stuff I need from here? Um... When I was working on the Business Insider article, I made a point to get what's available in the court records in Westchester County because the, I believe the original, well, no, they were living in Yonkers. Yeah, so I think it, the, the charge may have been originally from somewhere else. I forget exactly, but it was all in Westchester County Court. Um, oh, no, they were living in Utica at the time. So, yes, it was old stuff from Westchester County because Utica is Oneida County, I think. And let me look again now to find where the hell I put that, because... Oh, here we go. I have it open in Google Drive. I don't have it open on my computer. So, okay, let me refresh my memory on all this. Because let me pull up, because I also have the police report, which they happen to still have. All right, so... He's arrested on May 8th, and the police report does not say why they just suddenly, suddenly decided to pick up this man on this old warrant. And then the court date, okay, wait, that date has to be wrong then, because it's May 6th is when everything else happened. Let me make sure I'm reading this right. Oh, it's May 3rd. That's why. This was handwritten, so it was a little hard to read. Okay. May 3rd, he's arrested on this old warrant. His claim is that he had paid restitution on one of the old charges that was supposed to release him from the probation, 
but it never got properly recorded, so he was still on probation and had the outstanding warrant and all that. I am inclined to believe him because the court date is May 6th and they completely release him from his probation on that date. But here's the thing, though. If I'm Lee Cole, and I'm not bringing this up on my own, and if I'm asked about it, I'm like, what does this have to do with my brother? And so far as what? I mean, why? Why? I mean, what is uh, something that, that he did 10 years earlier, a felony robbery charge, and then another misdemeanor robbery charge? Because there was an outstanding warrant, and his. So, what is that going to do with his brother? Because he's splitting from Tom, and Tom is under the McMahon thumb. And I don't, I don't think I ever got to talk to Tom about this, but. I did talk to Steve. It didn't end up making it into the story. Um, and he was consistent. So the way I remember him putting it, I'm not going to go back to my recording of it, is he didn't remember them necessarily outright telling him to do it or asking him to do it, but that it was kind of suggested. I mean, I have, because it was stuff Phil Mushnick had in his files, I have, like, the the proof of them flying him down. I have like the hotel and the airline receipts. But so, again, I, I'm, fo- I'm focusing on what does it matter what his past was? Because they know Lee is not going away quietly and is falling out with Tom and that Lee has names and stuff. He won't give to them. That's Lee's story. And they think Lee is a yeah, liability but... and whether if they think he's going to go away for a long time or just briefly, if the way Lee tells it is that it would be used to discredit him, which, look, that Mushnick's lawsuit is filed in the following, you know, late winter. A huge part of that is alleging, you know, Phil Mushnick conspired with convicted felon, which he, I think, I mean, he already was, but still, Lee Cole. So, and they put in stuff that in there that Lee says is not true, and he has no reason to lie about this part. Like, in the lawsuit, and they, like, they're like, oh, he was in Rikers Island, and Lee says he never, he never had any jail, you know, whether awaiting trial or any jail sentences at Rikers Island. So that's a detail that would make no sense to lie about. And look, whatever anyone wants to say about Lee Cole, anything he ever told me that I could check, he was telling me the truth to the best extent I could check it. He mentioned that one of the reasons with the flux at the probation office was, I believe, that one of the probation officers got charged with murder. I forget the exact story. And that it, you know, everyone's, everyone started picking up his caseload and you know stuff being investigated and blah, blah, blah. And I found the news reports about it, and it's in that time frame. So he's generally been credible with whatever he had told me. So, like, I... Let's put it this way. I think it's possible that they didn't outright tell Steve to, or tell Tom to do this or whatever, but I don't think Lee is making any of it up. And the fact that the war, the you know, the police report does not say why they're picking him up on this warrant out of the blue on this years old, you know, outstanding warrant, and they completely discharge the probation three days later, which to me suggests that he's at least telling the truth about his side of it. Again, that's another thing. I mean... (laughs) And I do believe that Tom offered offered Steve the money, too. 
the thing the thing is is that how long does it, how long does a warrant have to be outstanding for them to do anything up there? I have no idea. See, wouldn't that be you know a time thing? Like, wait a minute, it's been too long. I don't remember when they if he told me when exactly he had said he paid it or when he was supposed to have paid it by that they didn't record it, that part I don't remember. Um, but there was still an outstanding warrant. And it, uh, I believe the stuff I have here is all from the same case and different parts of it. So, like, there's... An, uh, it's a This one's originally from 84, and then it's updated. Yeah, it's attempted burglary in the second degree, two counts. Um, then in 89, he's picked up on a probation violation. Okay, so yeah, he's he's violated on his probation in 89, and then I believe that's what started the clock on him needing to make the restitution. I may not be remembering entirely correctly, but this has Mm. all been floating around in general for a while. Hmm. All right. Well, let's move on to. Oh, uh, and I should I should what? mention, by the way, that uh, for people who wanting to check this out on John Arezzi's Patreon, uh, I mean, we need to get into the Murray parts too. This is one of the few episodes he can't find his tape of, unfortunately. Yeah, Mur- Murray calling up. How about that, huh? <laughs> yeah, trying to find th- a way to get him that. Yeah, don't talk about the past. I wonder why. <laughs> I mean, we talked. We talked about that already on the parts we recorded earlier. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, he's worried about what they're gonna find. That's what his problem is. What do you make of uh, McDevitt? Just apparently straight up lying about Hodge and no showing depositions, though. Yeah. I guess he felt like he could do it and not, and not to worry about it. So and it's an interesting move. Um, and <laughs> I love D- Dave specifically saying that Murray is confident. You could almost say yes. he is a confidence man. Yes. <laughs> yes, um, he is. Let's see. We anything else we have here as far as Murray? I, I, I presume that the star witness is Murray's ex. Probably. Who we talked about earlier. Yeah. So, interesting stuff here. I wish we had some of the radio show stuff. Uh, since who knows who has... Copies of the, you know, Ricardo Pell Kunkel stuff, if anyone does. But unfortunately, this is one of the few shows John does not have his tape of. He's not sure why. Yeah. All right. Well, let's continue to excerpts from Z Man Speaks Out by John Arezzi, Purpose Spotlight editor and publisher. It is him talking. Z Man. Yeah, this is. These, these are qu- yeah, these are quotes from Zank on Pro Wrestling Spotlight, but, you know, typed up in the newsletter. On steroids. Well, you know something, John? I think of society. Bigger, better. The Terminator movies. The guy comes back to life. It was a billion-dollar industry in the black market. The government had to say, hey, let's put brakes on it. And they found a new evidence that it's not good for kids and maybe even adults. Let's all play by the rules. The guys will be a little less big, but they'll be honest about being good role models for kids. One superintendent of schools asked me what organization I was in. If I wasn't in WCW and was in the WF, she wasn't going to let me address her group of kids. That's how serious it is. Interesting, isn't it? I felt bad. The superintendent knew everybody, everything that was going on, and she isn't even a wrestling fan. That's how serious this thing has become. Kip gave us a policy in instituting, and we're forcing it, after a certain period of time. When that time comes, I know we're going to get one, a mandatory testing policy. 
He's on a paper tiger. He looked me straight in the eye and said, there's going to be a good one. That's a good idea. It's good for everyone. Everyone's got to play by the same rules, and that's that. It's a felony. How do you argue with that? It's against the law. Let's all play by the same rules, and everything will be all right. And what would happen if everyone would get off steroids? They're the same, guys. They'll probably be faster, healthier, and their diets will be better. They'll probably do everyone a world of good. Let's play by the rules. Steroids are a thing of the past. Let's close that chapter. On the steroid scandal, it's great to perform the full houses. Don't get me wrong. People don't know that we wrestle seven days a week. They want good, strong bodies. And all of a sudden, your doctor gets indicted. There were some very serious problems when I was there. I'm really happy I got out before all this bad publicity and press. I mean, my folks see this stuff on TV. Everyone asks me if it's as bad as it is. I'm embarrassed by it, quite frankly. On drug abuse in the WF, they are traveling guys seven days a week. You can get a draw to go and buy drugs, steroids, speed uppers, downers. That sounds terrible, and I don't care who hears it because it's the truth. I swear I've never seen anything like it. All right, that's the end of the drug and steroids discussion. Um, boy, does that first part sound like someone who's very nervous about having to get off steroids. <laughs> Let's all play by the same rules, Bix. It's a felony. Yeah. What do with that? Um, it is Tom Zank, so I don't know how much in this era we take things with a grain of salt. But, um, you know, with, well, okay, let me try to figure this out because I haven't, I've never read through the whole transcript. How well known is it at this point publicly that Zahorian was selling other stuff since the law, since the trial, not the lawsuit, the trial focused on steroids. Has there been that much talk about him dealing other stuff that we've been through? There hasn't, right? No, it's all about steroids. So this is one of the higher profile mentions of that up to this point. That he was supplying yeah. a lot of other shit. Um, anything else we really need to dig into that much here? Or I think it's pretty surface level. Like the more interesting stuff we're about to get into. Yeah. All right. Uh, on Wyland WWF. Got a real bad contract from Vince. And I was advised for they made any dolls or t-shirts before they invested any money in me to get out. I wasn't happy with the money. I make better money at WCW. There are a few other things which just came out in the news, which is why I left. <laughs> well, let's get to that. <laughs> well, I'm just, that's an interesting way of wording it. That's all I got to say. All right. So on the day of set scandals, yeah, I knew what was going on. No, any teenage kids or anything, but there were innuendos when you walked out of the showers. There was an incident with me the last night I worked. I just never said anything. I went my own way. I knew I was going to work in Japan. I lost the best job I ever had. I went to the office of Vincent Man and his wife, Linda. I just said it was the money. I didn't feel like bringing up anything at the time. My goodness. Five years later, and look at everything that's happened. I guess I knew. Hmm. Where should we start with this one? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think there's a good way to even explain what the rumored allegation, the gist of the rumored allegation is without suggesting who the, it's allegedly about. So I don't think we should do well, that. Well, the thing is, though, is he's kind of he's kind of, you know, linking it to what is going on with the state scandals. But which, the story we've always heard is that the incident did not involve Pat Patterson or Terry Garvin. No, it happened. They fell out with a fellow member of the roster. Yes. Um, let me pull up actually, um, because when I did that fanbite article about them talking about 
people walking out. I quoted the contemporaneous observer coverage of his departure. Because he um, tweet, remember? Well, yes. And I'm trying to, I want to pull up exactly what Dave wrote five years earlier. Uh, da, 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 da. Give me one second. All right. Uh, okay. So Dave Meltzer writes in the July 20th, 87 Observer, Tom Zank walked out because he was tired of the constant travel and maybe out of the business completely. July 27th says folks in the WWF were saying Zank quit because he was tired of the beatings Haku was giving him. August 3rd, as you can tell by the TV show that aired this past week, there were some bitter feelings toward Tom Zank quitting the promotion. Now, we... Gee, you think? Okay, but do you believe him that he never told anyone till this point as he... Well, wait, what's it? he says, I just never said anything. That could mean publicly, right? Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean he hadn't told anyone in the past. Um, I mean, do you, based on what we've seen in the past on his old website where they had the letters back and forth, it does seem like he's telling the truth that what he told Vince and Linda was that it was a money thing. So. Yeah. That's what he told them. Yes. Because I don't think he felt like he he wanted to get the person in trouble that was allegedly the reason why he quit. Perhaps. But also, how do I put this? Um, the burial is so strange. Do you think that some version of it got back to the locker room and the office through the alleged perpetrator, and that's why we got such a bizarre burial considering the relationships with certain people at that time yes okay of who they're friends we're going with. with this but we're not going to say anything more than that i mean you say who they're friends with yeah you know yeah i think i think i think they had to have heard something whether it was actually what happened or not but i think they heard something because you know we've talked about it plenty on this show they did nothing like that ever before in acknowledging a departure. And even when they started more outright burying people more in later years, they still never did anything like this, where it's like they bury the person but don't use their name. It's just weird. You know? So Yeah. I'm I'm sure something got back to them. The question is what? Yeah, it was also probably their story too. Yeah. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah. All right, so let's move on to back to the Observer. Bob Orton Jr. was on the Wrestling Insiders radio show Saturday night, and when asked about the scandal stories and his brother's involvement, he responded, Barry's not holding anything back, and he's telling the truth. A lot of these guys think they're untouchable, but it's like karma. The worse you've been, the worse you're going to receive. Hmm. Well, he's back so in though. Yeah, well, name is his brother. Yeah, you know, so. Sid Justice is off the openings of the television shows, which Dave Guesses tells you that what WF thinks about his chances of returning anytime soon. Yeah, pretty much. Now we go to excerpts from Spotlight on Vince Russo by Alex Marvez, three-count editor. All right. Taking a sip of my water. We start with Russo. Yes. When I first met with Steve Planamenta and Vince, I explained to them it was a very difficult thing being there because being around John Arezzi and Dave Meltzer – it was more or less like you're around these guys for so long that it's almost like 
you get brainwashed that Vince McMahon and the WWF are evil. Boy, is that an interesting day to be reading that uh, Vince Russo quote, isn't it? <laughs> Since we are recording yeah. this on the day that the New York Magazine Rita Chatterton uh, story came out. Yeah. They are the enemy. Everything they say is a lie. You'll never get the truth from them. <laughs> this is all <laughs> I was hearing over and over again. So I just said that it was difficult to be with them because I had been on the other side. I had been with the John Arezis and the Dave Meltzers, and everything I hear about the WWF is so negative that this is a very difficult thing to do. I said, the reason I am here is because I don't believe in prejudging you. You are giving a steroid symposium. I am giving you the benefit of the doubt. I am going to believe in what you are saying and cover it as, straight new, as a straight news story in, for our newsletter. I don't remember the exact conversation, but one thing that really stood out in my mind that I will never forget is when we got to talking about Phil Mushnick. A couple of days earlier, I had read a Mushnick column, and what really stuck out in my mind is when he compared Vince McMahon to Hannibal Lecter. Hmm. What really grabbed me that day was when talking to Vince McMahon, he said he had never met Phil Mushnick face-to-face. He said he had tried to set up a few appointments with Phil, but he would never meet him. That part meant nothing to me, whether Vince was lying or telling the truth. What meant something to me is that you have a man writing for a major paper in New York City who calls himself a journalist, who compares a man, because when all said and done, Vince McMahon is a man that he has never even met. What's in his name? McMahon. Goddamn, pal. Uh, to Mr. Hannibal McMahon. Lecter. Yes, to Hannibal Lecter. When he told me he had never even met Phil Moshnick, even though I didn't say anything to Vince at that time, it didn't. that didn't sit well with me. But we dropped it at that. And nothing more was said about it. Okay. Got to stop here before we keep going. Chris. <laughs> Boy, does it seem like Vince McMahon's hand is up his ass there. <laughs> well, he's so... I mean, like I said earlier, he's so starstruck by Vince McMahon. But no... All he that, did was he, he met Vince McMahon and he just, you know, he's in love with him. Well, it's not just that, though. What ends up being this narrative for decades... Where it's focusing on, oh, he compared Vince to Hannibal Lecter, and something that becomes a disturbingly frequent topic in the lawsuit and Phil's deposition and stuff is not meeting him and how much it means to not having met him in person. Like, all that is central to the WWF narrative that starts being formed publicly after this. I uh, don't think... uh, don't think Russo's enough of a brain surgeon to be coming up with this himself, and then they lifted it. I kind of think it's the other way around. Oh, he, he was hearing that line, you know, that corporate line from him, and just got beat into his head. Like, I, I get why personally someone would think that it would be better to meet the person, but they spoke on the phone multiple times. It's not like they were complete strangers who had never interacted. You know, it's just, it's bullshit. Now, is the Hannibal Lecter thing probably a bit much because Vince McMahon was not eating people? Yes. But, you know, we've been over that multiple times already. It's not like he compared him to Hitler. I mean, Hannibal Lecter's not a fictional character. Well, there's that, too. All right. So we continue (laughs) with the one uh, Vincent Russo. After that, they had lunch. I didn't eat, and I sat there by myself. Then I spoke a few minutes to Planamenta. Shane and Linda McMahon introduced themselves to me and were very nice. Uh, for first appearance. I don't know if those are his actual words or what. And then basically everyone was leaving. 
I, Vincent Russo, approached Vince McMahon, told him that personally I don't agree with the direction our radio show is going in. And personally, I never wanted to do a radio show like this. I wanted to do a radio show to have fun. That's what I thought it was going to be about, because professional wrestling was always fun to me. That's why I got into this business, to have fun with this. If I knew it was going to get to where it is now, I would have never gotten involved, because I can't stand the direction the show was heading in. Excuse me, headed in. Vince said to me, you know, your show doesn't have to be like that. You can have fun with your show. Have wrestlers on your show, contests, etc. I said, not for nothing, but this is the type of show I originally wanted to do. I mean, basically, what I mean, what Vince Russo wants is he wants like a a morning zoo type show about wrestling, which is what he did. No, no, yeah, I mean, no, there's nothing, but nothing serious, you know, all you know, lighthearted, kissing ass. I mean, he, he, that's what he that's what he wanted, and he got. I mean, he got hooked up with Arezzi, and that's not what Arezzi was about. Arezzi is about you know real stories and stuff like that. Russo's wanting the glitz and the glamour. Mm-hmm. So, so th- I mean, that uh, there's your there's your um, your shift right there. So, all right, I'm Alex Marvez here. Do you feel these stories that have come out deserve coverage? I feel a couple of ways. Number one, as far as the child sex abuse, the three people who were constantly getting fingers pointed to are Mel Phillips, Pat Patterson, and Terry Garvin. Okay? They are gone. They are no longer with the World Wrestling Federation. Now, the big issue is whether Vince McMahon knew about it or not. You can hear me steaming uh, all the way in Georgia, I think, before I even continue with this. Uh, Well, I wasn't involved. I don't know Vince McMahon, so whether he knew about it or not, I don't have a clue. But I will say that the three of them are no longer with the WWF, and number two, Linda McMahon, excuse me, if, I don't know how I read that wrong. If Vince McMahon did know about this, any boss in any business, I don't care if it's Lee Iacocca or who it is, is going to cover for his employees. Okay, I didn't expect that. It's business. I don't care if it's Vince McMahon or Donald Trump. But as far as I'm concerned, the three individuals who we've heard about over and over again are gone. Do I need to belabor this point or have we been over it enough on these shows? Well, I mean, he can say that and say, well, they're not with the company anymore, so it's it's taken care of. I mean, if Vince McMahon knew or not. Well, I mean, I I mean, it's what he's basically saying that, you know, if well, he did, he's I, just, I get he's, your point. He's saying that he would cover for him anyway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thus, it's surprisingly should blunt have been, from him, but. No. Thus, that should have been the end of the story. What else do you want the man to say? The man was sitting on Donahue, and everything is a Patterson story, a Garvin story, and a Mel Phillips story. They're no longer employed by the WWF, period. You're telling me the stories, that it's horrible, it's this and that. They're gone. I mean, basically, what Russo's trying to say here is that, well, since they're not working there anymore, who cares? <laughs> I mean, that's the mentality. We didn't took care of it. It's over. It's that thing where a lot of people think that anything that ha- has happened in the past, if you do something in the present, that takes care of the stuff from the past. It's over. You know? Yeah. yeah, we fired this guy. So it's all said and done now. He doesn't work here anymore. But yeah, he may have lots of sexual harassment claims on the books. Well, he's not here anymore. 
That's the past. You know? Yes. But... That mentality is different, way different now than it was back then. Yeah. So, anyway, back to Alice Marvez. It's been proven that Vince has lied about Mary Hart's and lost it on the Donahue show. Do you think that by lying, Vince got the publicity going on in this story? You have to understand something. Oh, there's a Russoism. I'm not expecting the story to go away. I'm not in any way, shape, or form defending Vince. You just did. <laughs> you literally yeah, defended sure. him by saying any boss would. Anyway. Um. Uh... But how can I have any idea of what this man knew or what he... God fucking damn it! <laughs> <laughs> it was in the New York Post. Fuck. It was in the Observer. Anyway. Nobody has any idea. Maybe Vince McMahon has an idea. And those close to him in the WWF. But other than that, nobody knows for sure. I'm not going to be a judge or jury and hang this man. I know firsthand that you have people out there like John Arezzi and Phil Mushnick... We're twisting quotes around, twisting stories around to make the story worse than it is. I know that for a fact. That is what I have a problem with. If Vince or the WWF did something that was illegal, that is why we have a judicial system. That is why we have a legal system. What irks me is when fellow journalists, because I do consider myself a journalist, are twisting things around or padding stories or stretching the truth or sensationalizing it to make the story worse than it is. <laughs> Well, continue, Alex. What did John and Phil do to twist the truth? John came later. I'll get to that in a minute. When I was there with Vince, I said, I wish we could talk about this further and we could have a relationship. We are both in the wrestling business, and possibly we can set up a meeting and talk about this in the future. Vince said to me, you talk to Steve Planamena first, and then maybe we'll get together. Came back and called John on the phone. John came in the office, and I told him exactly what I said to you. I said, John, you should get together with them to see if there is some kind of relationship we can have because it is not in our best interest to be enemies with these people. And it's not. I'll say it a million times. If people think something is wrong with me saying that, they're out of their minds, because I'm a businessman. Businessman. It's not in our best interest to be enemies with them. I wanted to have a sit-down and say, what, sorry, excuse me, what don't you like that we do? What are the do's and don'ts? Let us know what offends you and how we can work together that, here. So he's saying he's doing he's a journalist in this capacity, but also this. He's a businessman. In this office, John agreed I think maybe this was supposed to be in his office, but it got transcribed wrong. Uh John agreed we would contact Planamenta and make a meeting. I called Planamenta and we had a meeting all worked out. Him and I were originally going to go up there and sit down with Planamenta first. Vince McMahon wasn't expecting we were going to go in his office and talk to us. As far as the other stuff, I was like, John, listen, Vince McMahon is guilty of all this. You have to let it, you have let it be known to the public. I'm sure the FBI is looking into this now, but this is why we have the judicial system. You've, car me, you've carried the word. It's out there. Let the authorities, the authorities. <laughs> Gee, I wonder who he's been talking to. Take care of it now. I think it's time to, we start covering wrestling again because we've done all we can do. That's how I put it to him. I would like to return to the part about John and Phil padding the truth. I went to the symposium. Keep in mind, I audio taped it. They did it for me. To this day, I have the audio tape. Symposium was on Tuesday. I opened up the New York Post on Wednesday. The first thing Mushnick says that I have a real problem with is the twisted men of the WWF are at it again. What does that mean? That any man employed by the WWF is twisted? TJ Strongbow's twisted? Ric Flair's twisted? Well, uh, every accountant is twisted? I have a problem with that right off the bat. 
excuse me, problem, I had a problem with that off the bat. This is what I mean by objectivity and being biased. Well, wait, 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 wait. We'll get to that part with Alex's next question. What is he talking about? Why is he bringing up the audio tape and then this? That has nothing to do with the symposium. And whether or not the symposium was reported on accurately. But let's hear from you, Alex. I just love how just the word somebody being twisted just got him going. <laughs> it's hilarious to me. Anyway. All right. Uh, Phil's a columnist, right? I can go to your newsletter and read your WrestleMania critique and say you're running your opinion, too. This is part of my problem. Vince McMahon is a genius, fine. The twisted men of the World Wrestling Federation. I have a problem with this. Now we're not going after Vince McMahon anymore. We're going after the whole WWF. Now we're going after everybody employed by the WWF. Secretaries, accountants, wrestlers that I've had the opportunity to meet and spend time with and know are good fathers and good husbands and good people. And now they're the twisted men of the WWF. You see, if you're going to go after Vince McMahon, fine, go after Vince McMahon. But don't go after the WWF and claim that every employee and every wrestler in the WWF is twisted and involved in this in some way. As a wrestling fan, that's where I have a big problem with this. You believe that was the core? Con you believe that was the connotation Phil was trying to make? Absolutely. They are trying to pull down Vince McMahon. They're trying to pull down the WWF with him, and that is absolutely wrong because you have hundreds of people in the WWF who don't have a goddamn thing to do with anything. I have a problem when you are writing the New York Post and you are going after an entire organization of people who had nothing to do with anything. The reason why I feel even stronger about that is I own a video store. Do you know how many kids came in and wanted to know Randy Savage abuses children or Ric Flair is a homosexual? This is what kids were reading into what he was saying. On top of that, he pretty much says only mindless people or credibility-free people were invited to the steroid symposium. I was invited to the steroid symposium. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> point's been proven. I'm not an idiot. I know what's going on. I took offense to that remark. That is the... <laughs> Uh, point number three. He goes on to discredit Dr. Moro Di Pascali. Phil Mishnick never went to the symposium. Now he's writing about something that he never even went to. And he was invited, sent a fax and invitation, and does not go. Yet he's going to cover it anyway. From a journalistic point of view, I have a problem with all that. But that's not even what's annoying me. I let that go. On Wednesday, I called John and said I have a real problem with what Phil Mishnick wrote. I want to go on the air and tell the people exactly what was covered at the symposium. Talk about Phil Mushnick and expose his true colors. I think people should know that Phil Mushnick has never met Vince McMahon, was sent a fax and invitation, decided not to go, and one step further, decided he was going to write about it. I think people need to see this side of the story. John said he disagreed about Mushnick, but if I wanted to debate Phil on the issue, that it would be fine. I said that was fine, but this is something that needs to be said, because I never knew Mushnick had never met Vince McMahon until Vince told me. He did not one time say he did not go to the steroid symposium in the story. He didn't say he was sent a fax and invitation. If you're going to tell a story, tell the whole story. John ended the conversation by saying that I shouldn't be surprised if there was another story in the Post Thursday, which told me he had spoken to Mushnick again. Also, I had given Arezzi all the materials I had gotten from the symposium, including the audio tape. I didn't hold back anything from him. So I buy a New York Post and read about how Vince McMahon on Larry King said nobody was on steroids and how 50% are now, blah, blah, blah. 
I have the audio tape and what Vince McMahon said word for word. The doctor gave Vince McMahon a report that he referred to on the videotape where basically... Dr. Anthony Daly said no one tested positive. Because steroids was in their system. Editor's note, Alex? Daly claimed that testosterone levels taken in four tests showed the figure dropping. Thus, the 50% of the wrestlers who initially tested positive in November were getting off steroids. The claim has been discredited because of the bounce-back theory, which means the testosterone level of a steroid user rises initially when they get off the drug because the body resumes natural production of the chemical. Thus, WWF wrestlers should have had higher testosterone levels rather than lower. And now back to Alex. I know the whole, uh, yeah. yes. I know the whole story. I also know Anthony Daly has been discredited. Whatever. <laughs> this is what Vince McMahon was quoting from. Phil Mushnick took that, completely changed around what McMahon said, and made it look like McMahon was a liar. I came back to my office, listened to the tape again to make sure my ears were right, and I was 100% correct. He twisted the words around to make Vince McMahon look like nothing more than a liar. Okay, that was it for me. Now we have the New York Post. God knows how many kids and people are reading this. Like I said, Vince McMahon is guilty of certain things. Fine, it will come out in a lawsuit. But a writer in the... <laughs> Interesting context that he's saying that in uh, almost a year before that lawsuit's filed, isn't it? Yeah. But a writer in the New York Post stretched the truth. He outright lied. I called John and screamed at him. How could you give this information to Phil Mushnick when he completely twisted it around? John, this is not what was said. You know this was not what was said by Vince McMahon. How can you continue to feed this man information? So he turned around and got upset and said he didn't give Mushnick the information. Five minutes later, the phone rings again. John Arezzi is on with Phil Mushnick. Mushnick says, you've got a problem with me? I said, yes, I have a very big problem with you. You are a liar. You make me ashamed to be a journalist. I was at the steroid symposium. I have an audio tape, and that was not what was said. You are a liar, period. At that point, he was yelling and screaming at me. I told him he was nobody to me, and I'm not going to take him screaming at me. John tried to interject because he wanted to get the point across that he wasn't the one who told Phil. Someone from USA Today did. I said I was sorry and owed him an apology. After that, Phil Mushnick continued to yell and scream, and I hung up the phone on him. I'm not going to argue with a liar. Maybe an hour passes and John shows up here with his brother-in-law. I still don't know why. Well, let's just end this part. Re read the response to that. He said, he, he said because he wanted to witness that he was breaking up the business. Fine. John comes in here and he ends this relationship. Not Vince Russo, not the sellout. I said that's the way he feels. Fine. All right. Where would you like to go with this? Well, this man must really taste good. Because of his Russo is really slurping his dick. I mean, his, good God. His video stores are going out of business. Well, not going out of business. They're failing because the Blockbuster's opening up nearby. And he's trying to set up a, a life raft, a parachute, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but good God. Also, <laughs> I would I would have to look up the complaint again. I could find it. Um... I'm pretty sure they never accuse, uh, they never say Phil defamed them in writing about the steroid symposium. I don't think that's one of the things that's uh, cited there. Also, note how he's basically corroborating everything that John said, too. Yes. <laughs> Is there anything here where he hasn't basically corroborated John's side of what happened? No. 
All right, let me see. As I pull up the complaint, so that would be... Here we go. February 17th, 93. What should I search for here? Steroid, I guess, and see what comes up. They might not mention yeah. drug stuff at all here, because, uh, let's see, D-R-U-G, Simpo, nope. I think they only mention various sexual misconduct stuff here. Um, and there's some stuff they're vague about, but I don't, yeah, I don't think that ever comes up. Yeah, of course, also conspicuous and never coming up in the lawsuit. They ask about it in the deposition, but that's about it. They never say he defamed them there. I think I mentioned this in part one, but we should reiterate. They never cited the claim about what Vince told them about firing and rehiring Mel Phillips as defamation. They never said that was not true. They have never commented on it once directly in any way. So, <laughs> yeah, so he, here he's saying, oh, there was a lie. And you have this gin, mostly ginned up lawsuit anyway coming a year later. And they don't mention this thing that Vince Russo says is a lie. Interesting. But it's it's just like, how dare anybody question Vince McMahon? Yes. And for the record, let's just read the paragraph from the uh, complaint that is right. I have an audio tape, damn it. Defendants have repeatedly and viciously defamed Mr. McMahon personally with a series of false and malicious statements published during their approximately one and one half year smear campaign. By direct statement or provable innuendo, Mushnick has written or orally stated that Mr. McMahon is a child abuser, a child molester, a homosexual, a charged heterosexual rapist, a miscreant, a homosexual criminal sexual offender, a liar in general and in specific respects, a man practicing the art of deception, cold-blooded, devoid of honor and propriety, a member of organized crime, and worse than the fictional character Hannibal Lecter, who killed and ate his victims. Well, some of those things he said was true. All right. Shall we move on to true. later in the interview? Yeah, I mean, my, my shit definitely would go over the edge on a lot of things, but still. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and, you know, we talked earlier about the thing with him and Jim Stewart and the Rita Chatterton stuff. I I don't know what to make of that entirely because, like, in Phil's deposition when they read it back to him, Phil's lawyer is asking, like, wait, what is this deposition? What case is this from? Why aren't you telling us this? And I never said into the record, so I... It was from, or I believe it was from earlier in 93. I think it was Febru roughly February 93. So it wouldn't be for that lawsuit. And obviously his, Phil's lawyer would have known about it if it was. So I don't know if it's from Stewart's lawsuit or, you know, a second deposition in that or what. But I, like, I do think there are things where Phil did not, I don't think he meant to distort anything. I think there are areas where he did not do a good job. But anyway, I think we made our point. Let's move on. Where does this leave Dave Meltzer? Dave Meltzer was the guru. He invented the newsletter. He has 5,000 readers. He could care less whether the WWF talks to him or not. Dave Meltzer has stacks of money in his house. Dave came up with a good idea. He has every serious fan subscribing to his newsletter. He's got a following. He's got a reputation. He's been doing this for years. But Dave still covers WWF and writes about him. Anyway, do you think John, had he approached the show differently and got non-WF wrestlers on his show, in the situation he wanted, non-character, open interviews. Could things have been different then? Did he have to deal with the WF? I think so. I'm sitting next to John every week in this radio studio, and 90% of the callers, maybe 95%, had WWF questions. Do you know how many people, when the Ultimate Warrior left, called and asked where he is? 
And he was getting so pissed off. He didn't even want to address it. That's what all these people wanted to know. If you're a businessman sitting there week in and week out asking him about this, what does it tell you? And when people would call and try to ask, he would cut them off. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. You know what the sad thing is? I had to meet with John's old station, WGBB. The station manager, who John owes $7,000, said I had to know one thing. John Arezzi came to him with the same idea. Came to him wanting to do the uh, same thing I wanted to do. This is how the show started. John's first guest was Jimmy Hart, then Fred Blassie, both from the WWF. But what happened was John got involved in the steroid issue, and now he wanted to become a journalist. He started cutting kids off on the phone. He no longer wanted to talk to the kids and just talk about the steroid, talk about steroids or the journalistic aspects of covering professional wrestling. That's when he started getting in the hole financially. Meltzer and John both told me that Meltzer was invited to the steroid symposium that McMahon offered to pay his plane fare, and he decided not to go. Okay. Here, here's what it's all about. Right here. I mean, Russo is wanting his radio show to focus, like I said, morning zoo or, you know, everything is positive because that's what the, that's what the listeners want to hear. You know, um, I listen to Jim Ross's radio show just about every week. This is on the same time that Mm -hmm. this is on and the callers that would call in. Every show would always, I mean, they would ask stupid questions. He had some smart callers, but do you have a lot of stupid questions and a lot of kids calling in too? I mean, and, and Ross, Ross knew how to handle it because he's Jim Ross, but John Arezzi is not Jim Ross. And the thing is, is that I think Russo is right here in that Arezzi is seeing a chance to rebrand himself in this whole steroids issue to change his trajectory as a wrestling personality. Okay. This is a story. It's a serious story. I'm going to start devoting to becoming a more serious type of wrestling personality, wrestling journalist and cover this type of thing, not turn a blind eye to it and just talking to whoever is the guest du jour from WWF that week, yeah. you know, it, it, it's it's like okay, it's like um, it's kind of it's, it's kind this is kind of the radio version of the after magazines changing in the nineties, mm-hmm. where it started to acknowledge the real stuff that was going on instead of everything being worked and everything being marketed and geared towards the fan base that still believes it's real. Yes, now. Something we should. This is the '90s. This is the '90s, and 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 that's another thing too. It's the '90s, and people. I mean, this is when you know perception starts changing. Among um, you know, we're coming off the '80s. Every you know, everyone is now. I mean, 1992 is one of the most pivotal years in culture, as you're having this the grunge movement starting up, and things are starting to get more edgy, and things and people are starting to question you know, things and stuff like that. It's starting to become a different type of world at this point in time. And Arezzi is, is in that line too. He's wanted to become more of a serious type of journalist in that way. This isn't the guy that was ho- that's hosting the wrestling conventions anymore. You know? Well, here's the other thing though. Um, 
what Russo's talking about about the early shows and the change. So this is like summer '89. He's dealing with the WWF Summit first and getting these guests. Then he had Bruno on. Bruno, pretty much on his own, went off on steroids. To the point that I believe John said they re-recorded the interview because it was almost too inflammatory. But he still, you know, still was talking about it. He went to Planamenta, and Planamenta basically said, if you run this, you're not getting any guests from us anymore. Well, there you go. And that's in 89. That's before there's, you know, even a Zahorian search warrant or anything. But it's Bruno. And see, John Arezzi, though, is going to, I mean, it's Bruno Sammartino. So, you know, John's not going to, he's not going to put anything over Bruno, you know? Right. And, you know, we should mention here, because it didn't come up before, might as well. I never heard this till Bruno died and Dave put it in his Bruno obituary. Bruno's whole anti-steroid stance in the first place came from him being in the ring with Chick Garibaldi when Chick Garibaldi had a heart attack and died, and then finding out that Chick Garibaldi was using steroids. Yeah, This is, what, very early 60s? Mm-hmm. So this is not a new thing for Bruno, either. And it's clearly yeah. something that means a lot to him as well. Understandably, oh, it was probably very traumatic it, to be in the ring with Chick Garibaldi. his family. Uh, yeah. So... I think that's fascinating that he never talked about that publicly either. Yeah. Uh, oh, was it Sunnyside Garden in Queens? But February eighteenth, fifty one. But but that's what this has all come down to. I mean, this is all about Vince Russo wanting to make money and knowing that at this point in time, the best way I can make money doing this radio show is to. And, and get advertisers and to get an and keep my audience is to have this direction where we mainly keep the show on, you know on a work level where we you know interview guests you know in character maybe a little out of character but in character um, and we don't rock the boat yep I mean that's, that's what what he's thinking at this time yep all right back to you Alex they did talk to Pasquale today after the symposium. Let me tell you, there's another Russoism. I have nothing against Dave Meltzer. There's another Russoism. I mean, the phrasing, not necessarily the whole thing. I don't agree with what Dave Meltzer does. I really don't. Only because I'm involved in the business now. But I tell you <laughs> what, I have a great respect for him. I think he's great at what he does. But what I'm getting at is that John's first show following this whole mess, the first words out of his mouth were, Nobody from the wrestling media was invited to the WWF steroid symposium. <laughs> I have great respect for Dave Meltzer. I just don't agree with what he does. Uh, that's not true. Two people were there. When I addressed that to John after the show, I told him, you're as bad as Mushnick. Meltzer was invited. He said that if, I, if he did say that, he was wrong, and he would go on the radio and make a statement. I haven't heard that statement made. The only person I've seen write anything about it is Wade Keller, where he wrote in his newsletter that Mushnick and Meltzer were invited and didn't go. I even wrote in my newsletter, thank you, Wade Keller, for pointing that out. But John Arezzi never addressed that. Thoughts? <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not that John never addressed it in a follow-up. Because obviously from everything we've read here, John clearly knew about Dave being invited and the whole thing with the fly. So, I don't know. So we... He's just stuck on this symposium thing, you know, about these guys not being there. And how dare they talk about this if they weren't there? I was there. I heard it. Mm -hmm. 
it's like it's like I mean it, it's like everything that was being said there was the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's the absolute truth. Mm-hmm. All right, finish this off. So he continues with this later. There's just two more things I want to bring up. He went on that show, and he was on a soapbox for an hour. He made it look like I was, without a doubt, sold out by Vince McMahon Jr., and he gave me hush money. Huh, timely. I listened to the show afterwards, and he almost sounded like one of those preachers that you send money to. <laughs> well, that would become especially ironic in a decade or two. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't believe he handled it that way. To go one step further, after I hung up with Mushnick, John Arezzi called my typesetter the morning afterward to find out what was going on with the newsletter. He said to them, Vince isn't going to have a newsletter for long because there was a story coming out in the New York Daily News. I get a call from Bob Raceman of the News. I tell him my whole story. I go into details with him for about an hour. The story comes out, and he uses one quote of mine. He makes me look like a sellout and makes John look like a hero. Then I find out Raceman is good friends with Phil Mushnick. So the bottom line is Mushnick can't write a story about me because I have an audio tape that proves him to be a liar, so he calls his friend Raceman. <laughs> the next thing I know, a story comes out in the Daily News that make it look like I took hush money from Vince McMahon Jr. All of it, I, all of it could have never even happened, and all of it could have never even happened had he said we split for professional and creative reasons. Instead, he created the scenario. <laughs> Oh, man. Now, uh, shall I remind everyone what the first issue of Spotlight from the Spotlight newsletter from Russo on its own, what the cover was? Yes, go ahead. A artist rendition from the guy who had been doing the uh, cover art for the newsletter when it was Vinch and John. Um, hold on. Let me actually pull it up so I can be completely out. Uh, here we go. So... The headline is, Who's the Real Monster? Let me do a screen share so you can see it again, too. I know you've seen this before, but just so we can look at this together. All right. Um, Forcing Spotlight Weekly. So we have a quote. We have, start. if we start clockwise, we have a long-haired gentleman. Um, since these are all supposed to be reporters in some form, I'm assuming this is supposed to be Dave Meltzer. This man also has a conspicuously big nose drawn on him. This isn't sour grapes, honest. Then we have a man in a generic uh, hat without any kind of identifying information saying, we need a story, just make one up, anything. Then we have a man uh, in a New York Post hat who also has a conspicuously big nose and ears uh, saying, listen, you kids, I know it's not true, but I need a story. Uh, We have alleged WWF fans in WWF shirts with... Um, Vince's artist completely botching the WWF logo. Then we have uh, a man in a Daily News hat, which does not have a quote, but also is drawn with a unusually big nose and ears. And then we have a caricature of John Arezzi wearing a button that says no name. Chris, <laughs> what do Dave Meltzer, Phil Mushnick, and Bob Raceman have in common? Well, I can't see the picture. Oh, you're, oh it didn't show up? No. Well, you can't see it, but that's not the point. What do Phil Mushnick, Dave Meltzer, and Bob Raceman have in common besides working in the media? They're Jewish. And they are the only ones who are drawn like that. I remember the photo, yes. 
I talked to Phil Mushnick a good 25 plus years after this happened, and that was the thing that he remembered about Russo. He told me, Russo, uh, this was before I saw this, Russo had some guy, or he, I forget if he remembered it was Russo, or remembered it wrong as it being Russo, or had thought Russo had the guy do it, but he's telling me, like, Russo had this anti-Semitic cartoon drawn of me. And now, granted, these caricatures look nothing like, in any way, like the actual Phil Mushnick or Bob Raceman, but I don't think that's really the point, and for, I, I think it's pretty hard to see this any other way, you know? Especially because yeah. John and the generic no-outlet-given reporter are not drawn that way. Yeah. You know, with the uh, over-exaggerated Protocols of the Elders of Zion-esque features, so... Yeah. Um, let me pull up the Raceman thing real quick, because it's not long. I don't, I don't I won't necessarily read the whole thing, but I'm curious to see, like, how strong is this hush money inference? Uh, let's see. Talks about the symposium. First face-to-face meeting with McMahon. The meaning and the implications of it are, at the least, curious. Sources say McMahon let Russo know that a good relationship with the WWF i.e. Arezzi halting his pursuit of stories embarrassing to WWF, could be beneficial to the future of the show and beneficial to the bank accounts of both Arezzi and Russo. Russo denies this. Vince never gave me any inkling he wanted to buy us out or support us, Russo said yesterday. In fact, it was me who said I was unhappy with the direction the show was taking. Vince said if I was interested in pursuing further conversations, I should call his PR man and set something up. And then but the thing rest is, is, is Arezzi that, giving but, the, what we've heard before. Now, the thing is, is okay, did, did Vince McMahon give Vince Russo any money? No, I don't think he did. But Vince Russo is saying openly that I won't make more – I will make more money if I play ball with the World Wrestling Federation. And also years so, later, he admits that Planamenta offered to pay for the show – so he's lying by omission when he because he specifically says Vince did not offer to pay for the show or anything. Yeah, but still, I mean, it's still he's getting money no matter what involved in, in being from being involved with the WF. So it, it, in technical terms, it is hush money. Yes. Um. So okay, I I will go with Russo on this. Here is the kicker to the article that closes it. Okay. Get the picture? Makes all the sense in the world for McMahon to want Arezzi on his side. But one fact is clear. Arezzi's show will go on without Russo or McMahon. The host, and only the host, will set the grounds. I believe Vince McMahon wants me off radio, Arezzi said. He knows I'm broke, and he's trying to play on that weakness. But I'd rather be broken out of business than take money. Dirty money. I'll, I'll say this. Russo is right in that I'm, I th- I'm guessing that that's what he's saying, Closing with that quote from John does give a very strong suggestion of hush money being paid directly from the WWF to Russo. Yeah. So he's not wrong to say that that implication is made at all. And if that's not what happens, to take issue with it. But still. (laughs) Uh, The beginning of Vince Russo. I'm glad we finally got to cover this because I... I had wanted to once I got the, this follow-up stuff, but we never had a good opportunity really to talk about it, you know, to follow up on the on the Russo show we did years ago. So, yeah, that's that. So, 
What a maroon. Let's move on to the reader's <laughs> All right, let's go back to The Observer. I originally subscribed to The Observer five, six years ago to source of regional wrestling coverage and inside information on the business. As of late, The Observer has become a sounding board about the dark side of wrestling, drug abuse, sexual abuse, general WF bashing about their hiring and firing policy. Having followed Russell for 25 years, I'm sure the same situation existed in the past and still exists in other sports and entertainment businesses. Of course, the drug abuse and sexual abuse must be stopped and can't be ignored, but let's get back to the reason we all follow this sport for your entertainment it provides. I don't know of anyone else, but I've heard enough. Signed, Brian Scott, Hamilton, Ontario. And before we get to Dave's response to this, I mean, you know, I mean, that is a majority of what people think, even today. And that's about everything. You know, I mean, whether any type of scandal in sports, entertainment, I'm tired of hearing about this. You know, I mean, that happens all the time these days. People don't want it. They don't want. They don't want to hear about it. You know, they want to move on. And let's hear about the things that makes us feel good. I don't want to feel bad. Pretty much. So, yeah. All right. Dave's response. If you've heard enough, you should complain to the parties involved in the legal proceedings and ask them to bring all the cases to fruition as quickly as possible. <laughs> it, it would be irresponsible to attempt to cover this business in a serious manner and ignore these stories from this point forward, some of which are among the biggest stories in this profession in years, because some don't find it entertaining. It's even worse when you consider there's much question as to who and how much deceit has gone on regarding various different stories and claims that have already gone public. If people are lying, and some people are lying badly, we just don't know how many and just how badly yet, but we do get a better idea the more we investigate. Or using tactics in response to these issues to obfuscate the truth, it only makes it far more important to continue to closely examine the important issues and find out what is being hidden. To ignore things from this point because some are tired of reading about ugly realities because they intrude into a non-serious fantasy world may, may, may make this a more fun read to some over the short haul. But the resulting abandonment of journalistic credibility that, that this would involve ultimately would taint or ruin whatever credibility and future value this and either some similar publication have to serious students of this business, which is the prime audience that this, this is aimed at. But that's the thing. And Dave, Dave just called it right there. His newsletter is for the serious wrestling fans, the ones that want to be, you know, want to know the inside workings of the business. So if you're one of those people that don't want to, here's the thing. You don't have to subscribe. Yeah. I mean, nobody's making you subscribe to the Observer. Also, you can give it up. Also, hasn't the Observer gotten longer in, since the steroid scandal started anyway? Yes. <laughs> yes, this is that era. Yeah. So where everything's, everything is picked up. He's completely right here, Dave is. Yeah, if it's your problem, then cancel your. I mean, don't resubscribe. I should say once you're subscribed. Yes, exactly. I mean, you, nobody's forcing you to read this stuff. Nobody's nobody forces you to, you know, listen to interviews and do things. Nobody's forcing you to do anything. You do it because you do it. You know. You don't like that he starts covering more lucha with AAA launching and you know getting popular. Then again, cancel your subscription. Like that's it. Yes. It's really quite... Absolutely. <laughs> Again, I, I don't get it. I don't I don't get why people just feel like they have... I mean, if you don't like what somebody's doing, don't support it. Just that simple. All right, let's go to June now. We get June the 1st. Torch cover date June 4th. Observer June 8th. 
to the Observer on the Wrestle Television Show, which is spending more and more time promoting the bodybuilding pay-per-view show. They announced the bodybuilding event is being sold out live, which is surprising since Dave spent the weekend in Los Angeles and they were doing ticket giveaways galore on local radio and publicizing the event with no mention of it being sold out, nor has there been any public mention of the change in the live site. The bit about the WBF setting the standard for drug-free sports competition may be the greatest example of gall ever by this organization. Even if we are to believe that all the bodybuilders are off all drugs, which nobody in the bodybuilding world I've Dave's talked with seems to think this even a remote possibility, but we won't know for sure in two weeks. You're talking about men who are presumably all very heavy drug users, were very heavy drug users, most for a decade plus, with some, according to Muscle Mag International, piling up annual bills in excess of $100,000. It's certainly most are piling up annual drug bills in excess of $30,000 in recent years, since virtually all pro bodybuilders over the past few years use the expensive growth hormone. Even if these guys have been completely clean for three months and don't use essenine before the contest, Essenine is on a steroid, and Dave doesn't believe it can be tested for, but it's a European drug pro bodybuilders now use to afford it to show because it creates an infl- inflammation of the muscle. Thus, the muscle itself swells for about 48 hours and creates freaky size in the small muscles like the rear deltoids, biceps, and calves, both of which are, are debatable. Ten years of being some of the most prolific drug users in any sport followed by three months of being clean doesn't set the standards for anything. This is an all-new con to set up selling food supplements, a.k.a. IcoPro, which the bodybuilders will endorse to make teenagers believe that's the secret for developing these physiques, when the real secret is heavy drug use and superior genetics. And most even use supplements, and even those, among those who do, it isn't much of a factor in building a freaky physique. IcoPro! Here we go. First time IcoPro has come up on this show, Bix. Yes, developed by uh, WBF Director of Research and Development, Dr. Fred uh, Hatfield. Yes. So, yes, I mean, they are going heavy in the promotion of the WBF. And it it always felt weird at that time that these stories are out there and they're so deep in promoting this WBF, which all the guys look like they're on the juice. Because they're bodybuilders. Yeah. You would think that you would possibly want to get away from this. No, they just went full force. Mm-hmm. And just said they were drug tested. I mean, they were, but still. And that goes into the mentality of Vincent Mann. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's a scandal, okay. We'll take it head on. Mm-hmm. And that's the way he's always been and still is today. I mean, look at him going on TV. On SmackDown on Raw, after all that stuff came out, you know, in the, in the past couple of weeks, he didn't say or do anything. But the fact that he went out there publicly to show his face and and basically ally nothing's going on sends a message to the WWE fans: Don't worry about it. We're gonna be all right. Yeah. Um... Even though even though he's technically not in power right now so to speak. And John Laurinaitis might, might be out of a job soon or might be put on, or might be kept on a payroll and put in some type of completely different position to hide his ass. But still that's Vince, even to this day, still putting on that front that I'm basically indestructible. Well, and what's extra ridiculous about the thing I will survive is his only titles are slash were chairman of the board and CEO. 
his creative duties were part of his CEO duties, if not the bulk of his CEO duties. So how does stepping down temporarily as CEO allow him to still be head of creative when he doesn't have a separate title as head of creative? Obviously, it's because, because... he can do whatever the fuck he wants, but I'm saying, in, yeah. like, in the grand scheme of things, though, like, it's it just shows how more obviously bullshit it is. Yeah, he's not attending business meetings. Yes, that's it. But he's at television. He's at television running the television, which was part of his CEO duties. So he's it, yeah. Um, but it, no, it's Vince man duties. You know what you I know? mean. I know what you're saying, but I'm saying the CEO doesn't always run creative. He does. Well, yeah. That's the same because he's Vince man. It's Vince man duties. Yes. Um. For the record, this and, is and like I and, oh, and, and like I and like I said, nothing's going to change until the TV networks say no. Yes, the heat's too the heat's too much. You cannot be here, or or you know they will have to put the pressure on them. TV networks have to be the ones to put the pressure, and they're not going to do it. Or sponsors potentially, but and you ain't heard about them. So no. I'm curious if anyone's done any of the Snickers emails though, but. I think, I think they, they've learned their lesson. Probably. It doesn't work. Well, it did work. We don't know how much there was any kind of coordinated or media reach out to to Mars, though, other times. But anyway. Well, uh, they're heavily in bed with them, so it yeah. didn't work. Real quick, I did want to read what uh, Dr. Hatfield told me uh, when I did that WBF article for Fighting Spirit. I was quite proud of IcoPro, and I still am. Bodybuilders didn't like it. They like juice. The athletes in general didn't like it because they knew that steroids work remarkably well at helping people cover from entrenched training. But I, I loved the way he said to me, they like juice. <laughs> yes, the uh, late yeah. uh, Dr. Squat, Dr. Fred Hatfield. All right, as far as what was talked about on the John Razzi radio show last week by Lee Cole and Murray Hodgson, WS spokesperson Steve Planamana said the organization has better things to do than worry about Cole in reference to Cole's claim that WF attempted to get him sent to prison because they knew he had information on him. As for Hodgson, Planamana said he's very adamant about what he says, but I don't know if there's much truth to what he says. Hopefully we'll all find out when Nick goes to court. That's not a denial of anything that Lee or Steve said, is it? No. Hmm. Interesting. Isn't mm -hmm. it? I mean, that's well, I mean, WWE is you got like if they're gonna deny something, they're gonna deny something. They're clearly not denying it for a reason. Um, I I mean that reminds me too. Like I was I was trying to find some old tweets, and I was looking back at when um after Ashley Massaro died, and you know the lawyer Constantine Kairos put out her affidavit. Um, you know where she you know alleges the story about being drugged and raped on a USO tour and. How, you know, WWE told her to, you know, not report it and bury it and all that. And they dig up this email she had sent them, like, but only excerpting it and saying she bad out the lawsuit, which she had never withdrawn from. And in the whole, like, statement, though, they never actually denied what she was saying. It's like, again, not denying something looks bad. I mean, we we went through this, I think, in part well, two as well, but... I think it's all about how you say things, because oh, I, I mean, if you if you say if you word things the right way, it'll be seen you as a denial. Say, yes, you can say whatever you want, but yes, it'd be seen as a denial, or it'd be seen. As, you know, you you can cover the fact that you're 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 saying what you're saying, but you're not saying 
if you can forgive or understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I know um, I'm confusing. But anyway, let, let's uh, move on. Yes. Jeremy Devin, the man's attorney who was the recipient of much negative discussion on the same show, didn't return our phone calls. That's also very interesting. He's busy. Uh, Tor said Murray Hodges de- deposition set for June 18th. So there's that. Good luck with that. Observer, a few weeks back on primetime, there's some old tapes with Bell Phillips and Rigard Alcer, which Cole has claimed is because he believes they're going to bring Phillips back. They didn't take that seriously and felt they just needed to put an old match in for purposes that have nothing to do with Phillips, possibly being into ring announcing, or even though nothing appears on their television by accident. But now with tapes of Phillips ring announcer for the third straight week on primetime, that no longer seems like a coincidence. Well, he doesn't come back. So. He announced a lot of shit, so, you know. Yeah, and Prime. And that year, he's announcing, and, and he's announcing challenge tapings, even early 92. So, yes. there's that. All right, Cole claimed the contract his brother signed with Titan has specified that Phyllis and Terry Garvin wouldn't be brought back, but that there would be no mention in the contract of Pat Patterson. All right, shall I uh, pull up the actual settlement? Yeah. Let's see. Do I not have this in OCR? Wait, I do. Okay, wait. Uh, okay. And, okay, so, yeah, here we go. It says, uh, okay, so, when is, okay, so, whereas he presented the complaint, da 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 they met on March 15th to discuss the matters. Okay, and then we have, whereas, um, there's a handwritten note here. Okay, someone, I'm assuming Phil Mushnick, wrote, where's Patterson's name next to this? Whereas, or maybe Lee, I don't know. Uh, whereas Garvin and Phillips are no longer employed by Titan, and Titan has agreed not to reinstate them. Uh, you know, and then they go over the various things with how they're settling this. Um, let me see how if Patterson comes up at all outside of the caption of the planned lawsuit. Um, no, I mean the only other place Patterson comes up is when he's released from the claim. So yeah, Lee was absolutely telling the truth here. And Patterson was always going to come back. This does point to the direction, though, of the being secretly paid thing. But go ahead. Yeah, but he was he was always going to come back. I further believe that because they defended after a certain point, right? Yeah, and he's the I mean because he's the most valuable. Yes, the other didn't really have much value now. And he and they think that he didn't he he didn't do as much as the other two did, which is not exactly correct either. Based on the allegations. Well, I mean, they think that Pat is all part of the the fun and games of ribbing. It's all a rib. Oh, you think that they're saying even if – you think they're going with the idea that, well, even if what Tom said about Pat groping him is true, he meant it as a rib, so dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Okay. I I get what you're saying. It doesn't make it good, but I get Where Terry Garvin – you know, Terry Garvin's a different kind of story. Right, Terry Garvin was explicitly going for a quid pro quo and all that, yes. And Mel Phillips, of course, we know it, all that. Mel Phillips, so. yes, yes. Um, former WF wrestler Marty Jannetty was sentenced last week to on cocaine possession charges and resisting arrest with force charge stemming from an incident late January while he was hit in a date were attempting into a Tampa nightclub. Jannetty, 33, was fired by the WF after the incident and is now working independently. Janetti's case was not adjudicated, and in exchange, he said six months of community control, being under house arrest, which means he can leave his house to travel to and from jobs basically for no other reason. 
30 months probation. He must submit to a urine test every week for three months and bi-weekly for the following three months. He will then be subject to random testing over the next two years and 250 hours community service. It is believed the judge was so hard on Gennady because he was tired of pro wrestlers and Gennady being portrayed to the public as role models and then behaving in a manner which makes those portrayals hypocritical. (sighs) Gennady did did a lot of wrong things, but a judge shouldn't have an agenda either. This does seem a little excessive, yes. I mean, just because you're tired of wrestlers being portrayed as role models doesn't mean that you should be treating – Marty Jannetty any differently from any other common person that's going in for those same charges. Now, granted, resisting arrest with force is more than just cocaine possession, but... But I'm just... No, what I'm saying, though, is how would that sentence compare with somebody else who had the same sentence? I mean, who did the same thing? Right. That's what I'm trying... Exactly. That's what yeah, I'm trying yeah, to get yeah. at. Yeah, which I don't know, but probably not as much. And either way, he's back in the WWF in less than six months. Yes. Or maybe just about six months. When is his return? He's back. No, he's back uh, at the end of the year. December? Let me double check real quick. Because uh... Sean's against Brett and Bulldog in November. Right. And I, and Janetti does like a run-in on the Nassau show at the end of December that I went to. Uh, December 27th. Where, yeah, it was Sean uh, Savage and Janetti... Uh, came out to stop Michaels from doing the walkout finish. So let me see when is his actual return appearance. Uh, December, 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 December. Come on. I didn't want to just do actual matches. So that's why I'm not looking at uh, cage match or wrestling data. But this is December. Uh, they did a shirt. I mean, he's back soon. The sherry back angle. In... Okay, I found it. Go ahead. Because they did a sherry angle. It, it's in December. No, the Sherry Angle shot. Oh, Sherry Angle shot at the at the Saskatoon tapings on October twelfth, where Brett wins the title, and it airs on November seventh. That early? Me, no, it airs. Uh, no, it airs Halloween weekend. Actually, yeah. That early? Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Yeah, I wouldn't have thought it was that early either. Thought it was maybe a few weeks later, but yes. Yeah, so, oh, so he is back well within six months of this, on a taping in Canada, no less. Which is also kind of interesting. Yeah. So now we've got something right, completely uh, different. Tour start with Jim Ross. Where you'll be Way Keller and I'll be Jim Ross. Of course. What is your impression of the Titan Gate situation? I probably read less than a lot of people about all these allegations that have been made against WWF. I feel badly that things of this nature happen to anybody in this business because it probably in some indirect trickle-down theory affects all of us to a certain extent. A lot of people, because they're so dominant and so strong in the industry that they are wrestling to an average person. Unfortunately, you get a lot of generalizations. If it's going on WF, that means it must be going everywhere else. First of all, a lot of the allegations being made have been proven. I didn't witness any of them, so I don't know if they're true or they're not true. But the allegations themselves certainly don't do anybody in our industry any favors. I hope they get settled and we can move on to more positive things where it's a real good competitive atmosphere between them and us, and the fans are going to be the ones that cast the deciding votes in that situation. Hypothetically, let's say something happens and the WWF goes out of business. Would that necessarily be good or bad for wrestling? Well, that's a real hypothetical because that's not going to happen. I don't think. But it would be bad for wrestling. The more places that wrestlers can work and have an opportunity to earn a living, the better it is for the talent. The more places a guy like me can get a job if I lose my job here, the better off I am to be able to provide for my family and myself. (laughs) Boy, you just don't know, Jim. It would be devastating for the business, I think. 
I hope it never happens, and I don't think it ever will. But if the ideal situation could be created, we would have the territories back again and be developing talent, be moving time from territory to territory. It would so, be so much better to, and easier to manage, and the TV would be so much easier to do, and the focus would be so much easier to have. But unfortunately, that's a dream a lot of people in the business agree with, but they also agree it's never going to happen again. Yeah, me included. <laughs> Wish we had territories again, but never happened. Won't happen. It's, it's not possible. Yes, and a uh, very political answer there from good old JR. Yes, well, like I say, he doesn't even know what's going to happen. Did you see, speaking of reminds me, did you see what Ross tweeted the other day about the Bill Watts era WCW? Mm-mm. He said that was the most miserable he'd ever been in the wrestling business. Go on. I mean, that just really caught me off guard. Um, I had to find it because I think it was um, there. It was it was a tweet about Beach Blast because they did the Conrad show about Beach Blast. So let me find it here as I uh, scroll through mm-hmm. Jr.'s uh, tweets here and get past his retweets of. Uh, of women in bikinis, which hey, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Okay, let me find it here. Uh, I'm, I'm getting close to it. I'll get to all these Tony Khan tweets, retweets. How many days ago was this? This was last week, so I'm get I'm I'm getting there. But yeah, he said that he was uh, this was the most miserable time he ever had in the business. I Damn, mean, where's it possible, at? It's possible he knows that if something happens to Watts, he's fucked. I'm looking I can't for the word. I'm it. using the word miserable and doing uh, searching his tweets. <laughs> well, he didn't use the word miserable. Um, he said something. Oh, here it is. I had less fun in 1992 when Cowboy arrived than I had at any other time prior to, to that or after. This organization and a divisive atmosphere made for a negative work environment in WCW during his tenure. Interesting. Yeah, he's number two guy in the company. Behind Watts. So, yeah, that's, that is very, very interesting. Yes. Well. All right. Back Reader's to pages. Uh, Reader's Pages. My opinion of Murray Haas has been greatly altered in the past week, stemming from what he said on John Aracy's Pro Spotlight radio show. On a Donahue show, I perceive Haas as being an incredibly intelligent individual. However, he has either made a, a judgment of error or wants to sell his, ca- his case with the WF out of court. Haas on the show explain how a person from the, his past is being brought in by Jeremy Devitt to destroy his reputation. However, he said that he's spoken to his star witness and those should be careful in deciding who is actually on their side. I know quite a bit about lawsuits, and the one thing any lawyer will advise you to do is not talk about or about any of the plans you have for the case. Murray played his cards way too early, though he will deny emphatically that he wants to settle. I think that's the route he's going to go. Signed, Andrew Goldberger, Port Jefferson Station, New York. Dave Meltzer, this case isn't going to trial. Anyone who sues is looking for a settlement. That's why you sue. Now, that's not entirely true. It's you not know. entirely true, but that but that thought is there. Well, yes. What can I get out of? But you know, there are some people who you know. I'll, I'll give this example. Oh, I'm blanking on her name. The the most recent Bill Cosby lawsuit, the one that just had the trial awarded in the uh, you know against him. It, I believe the jury award was five hundred grand, so probably a lot less than you'd expect. 
And it was clear, though, from, you know, her talking to the press after and her emotional reaction and stuff, this was not about the money. It was about getting a court ruling that said that she was telling the truth. You know, and you think about, you know, Martha Hart's goal in everything was to go to court. And then she realized with the way the stress was getting to her after talking to one of her lawyers was like, this is a civil suit. At the end of the day, all you all you get is money. You know, you might get a ruling in your favor, too. But, you know, substantively, all you're getting is money. And that's when she realized it just made sense to settle. So it depends on what the lawsuit is. Obviously, Hodgson, even if he was completely genuine here, is looking to be made whole for what he says he was owed on his contract. So Dave is right about Murray, but... You know, and about a lot of lawsuits, but it's not a universal truth either. It's not a universal truth, but a lot of times it is. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you, uh, it you is. Also, do you also remember what Andrew Goldberger's legacy is in the wrestling business? No. He was the one that hooked up Russo and Arezzi. <laughs> well, how about that? He's, so he's responsible for Vince Russo. There Who also go. ran a Jim Cornette in the Midnight Express fan club. Well, there you go. How about that? Interesting. Back to another letter in the Observer. I thought you'd be interested in knowing that the Roanoke, Virginia station that used to carry the Dave Superstars program is dropping the show at the end of the month. The program director of the station told me the ratings have dropped significantly since the news of all the scandals hit the media a few months back. Signed, Richard Martin of Roanoke, Virginia. Hmm. Well, I mean, it did have an effect. It really did. For a while. You know? Yeah. And that happens. Obviously, what WWE these days has affected them in the other direction, but the... <laughs> well, like, the question also is how much was the scandals? How much was, you know, the stuff about, you know, not having the larger than life physiques, you know, as American Gladiators were going on? I think it's a, a combination of everything. Well, here's and, but see, but, but, but see, that that's a thing. That's a thing, though, that program directors can point to, though, if asked. It it gives them the. Um, Excuse, but it's also not like there was that much awareness about a lot of the scandal stuff either, you know, outside of New York, especially. Yeah, so that's why I kind of think about it being a mix and maybe not necessarily the scandals in and of themselves. But anyway, enough with that. So, not a long week here, and the next one isn't either. So, let's close out the show now with uh, the week of June 8th. Yes, so uh, June 8th, Observer, June 15th, John Ressi's Pro Spotlight, June 15th. The best start with the Observer. Depositions in the Marie Hodgson case are scheduled to start June 18th. As the press time post size, be allowed to videotape the other's deposition, but will not be allowed to distribute, edited, or in edited portions to the press. National written depositions are still scheduled to be public record as soon as they are filled, uh, filed, which many I think it could have some interesting items revealed. And again, if they are, and at some point I'm going to try to go to the courthouse to see what's in the case file that should still be there. If it was, then no one reported on it. And that's something I've wondered, though. Who's going to be public? Don't you think McDevitt would have faxed copies of the relevant stuff to Dave and Wade at a minimum? I do find that a little weird. Yeah. I wonder if maybe the written deposition isn't as compelling as you'd think. And it's more the videotape. Yeah. A Utica, New York television station is doing a special lead call when two major magazine stores are in the works. Okay. The Utica thing happens 
on a local station there. It's like a half hour or maybe even hour long special about the Ring Boy stuff. And actually, wait a second. It might be confusing a few different things because the story as I was told it was that Steve Bradley, because um, I don't know if we had his full name yet, but it does come up. I'm not outing his full name. Um, he he had said something, I think Lee had said too, to me about that, about the Utica special being where Steve first talked and WWF and bringing Steve in to kind of strong arm, arm him over stuff. He said, but, I mean, this could be separate too. I may be confusing a few different things. Because I've I've never seen a tape of this. I know there's one that Arezzi was in, but he, I think he looked for a copy and couldn't find it. So, but what he is talking about here is real in some form and does happen in some form. But there may have been more than one story. I'm not sure. And the man, Sure. Go ahead. I was going to say Sure some problems with guys named Steve Bradley. And uh, the two major magazine stories, I guess, would be Penthouse and something that didn't happen. Who knows? Who knows who come out at the time that we don't even know about, but yeah. Penthouse sounds about right. Tastefully done. Alright, Phil Mushnick of the New York Post ran a short item in his column on June third. New York State Athletic Commission, which thanks to the scandal so World Wrestling Federation has not, despite urging and ample evidence, investigated any of the illegal sex and drug charges leveled against Vincent Man and Company, and new charges surface virtually every other every day. The commission has not urged the state attorney general to investigate either. Why does WF get a pass from New York State? Money. The commission receives 5.5% WS for in-gate receipts, in-state gate receipts. Now, unless Commissioner Randy Gordon comes up with a better reason for getting WF a look away pass, that's the only reason that makes any sense. Well, it's wrestling, and yeah, they get paid. And also, what would they even have jurisdiction over? They don't. That's something that Phil needs to learn about. <laughs> yeah, and now... Uh... Now we get this, which I'm putting in here just to see. Uh, you'll get the idea. We'll talk about it. And this gives us an opportunity to talk about the New York Magazine story. So, Excerpt from the Wrestling Menu by Don Liable from Pearls of Spotlight. Of all the scandal reports concerning WF by far, now it could be told it's my favorite. I may have been the minority of this, but personally, what Rena Marie stated, I believe, was a first-class work. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I did not Don Liable. that. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So, okay, where do we start with this? Um, I mean, as we re as we record this, uh, New York Magazine put a story out on Rita Chatterton. Shockingly, uh, thirty years after the fact, you know what we've been talking about on the Patreon shows, and they have brand new evidence. And they talked to a wrestler, uh, Mario Mancini, who did TV jobs for WF in the eighties, who uh, was. Uh, and a, you know, trading partner, basically Rita Marie at Tony Altamore School. Yeah, Tony Altamore School, and uh, he told some new information, and uh, it got quite a bit of traction today among a lot of uh, websites and stuff. So uh, I'll throw that to you now uh, to talk about this. Yeah. So she says in the article. Um, that the two people she told at the time, and I think she says period, the only two people she told before she went public in 92 were Andre the Giant and Mario Mancini. Because they were the two guys who had become her friends on the road. Um, 
And I am trying to figure out, because I know I DM'd it to people earlier, because I don't have it open now, what Meltzer wrote in his first week of covering it. Give me one second. As I see. Thank God you can search DMs these days. Uh, messages. Here we go. Uh, here we go. All right. So this is the first week after Now It Can Be Told airs. I'm sure we read this in, you know, part two, but got to refer back to this. One of the people she told, one of the industry's biggest names, told us Friday night about a conversation with Chatterton right after the alleged incident, which corroborates some but contradicts other aspects of the story. And Dave's referred back to this other times, but I have not talked to Dave yet today. I was out a lot of the afternoon. I was going to try to talk to him. I had to talk to him about something else anyway. So I have not asked Dave this yet. I'm assuming it'll probably get discussed on Observer Radio after we record this. <sighs> was Dave talking to Andre about this? Well, I, my theory is is that it's wrestling. So somebody, I mean, somebody said something to somebody else, and it gets out. Yeah. Um. In the article, Rita says that she doesn't know how Geraldo's people heard about her but that there had been bullshit rumors about her and Vince having an affair, so she figures they heard about that, and that's why they reached out to her. Um, there's the whole thing with when they sue her, where they say that there was a, a recording that she made with David Schultz and his private investigator, where she accuses Vince, and there are two different tapes that are contradictory, and blah, blah, blah. And I know Schultz has claimed that tapes he had to give into evidence his originals were never returned. But as far as the specifics, you know, with the way they stalled out discovery in that case and everything, they never had to substantiate any of the stuff they claimed in the complaint at all or any of those other allegations. So, you know, like, I don't know what to think of any of that. But, you know, she's saying here that she only ever told Andre and Mario Mancini. And, I mean, the thing I really want to know is that I did, Dave never really detailed this, so he doesn't have notes. He's going to be gone by memory, and it's been 30 years, so who knows? I want to know exactly what whoever this was told him. Because one of the things in the article that's mentioned, too, is, I mean, Mancini, even now, does not use the word rape, but still basically says, you know, that what she described was being raped. So, I, I think it's possible that we're talking about something that is less contradictory than maybe Dave at the time, or even now, thought or thinks. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, because all... Who knows? I mean, not to get all, you know, not to have to bring him into the... But, but it, you know, as far as, you know, the... Con, you know, it's, it's a bullshit term, but it's used, you know, to simplify something that's less simple, you know, the whole idea of quote-unquote gray rape, where a lack of an outright no does not necessarily mean consent, you know, could it be something like that is what he was told? I don't know. But this is a lot of new, you know, this is... These days, if you were reporting on this kind of thing, a contemporaneous outcry witness is one of the most important things you can have, if not the most important. So the idea that now we have one, and it's someone who would make perfect sense, 
for her to confide in and who reached out on his own. It seems like, I mean, it, gotta take that pretty seriously. Yeah. But think of another thing, too, that's going on. It's, it's Vince McMahon. This isn't... This isn't somebody who had an image of being this wholesome guy to begin no, with. It's Vince McMahon. It's wrestling. This is, it's different. That's it movies. Is different. It is different, though. Yes. I'm talking about Bill Cosby. Sure. Oh, okay. Sure. Because he's... Okay, you know, we had just talked about Bill Cosby. Sure. So, somebody who's, whose reputation that preceding all, all the charges that came out was so starkly different, you know, and to have that come out there like that. And again, it, it's, they're all entertainment industry, but again, it's the stigma of wrestling, you know, to the general public, even today, oh, it's just wrestling, you know? So mm-hmm. people that follow wrestling and are involved in a wrestling business, Treated differently because they're so passionate for the business and the and whether they're fans or talent or whatever, but the general people, the general public that doesn't watch wrestling, doesn't care about wrestling, they just think wrestling's just a big joke. So I mean, we're talking about this, this whole series. So no matter what happens, I mean, unless there are some type of legal actions that come out of this then nothing's going to happen. Let me ask you this. We know there's another Wall Street Journal story coming. If That's what we've been led to believe, yes. We know that publicly. If there were to be talent who had NDAs and that came out, and if they were named and potentially on the record, how much do you think that at least sways public sentiment? I don't think it sways public sentiment. I think it may sway sentiment involving the business. I think I think if 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 there if there's what if, if what we think could be out there is out there, and there's a very great possibility that it is, then it would force it would force the hand to really make a change. But it's not. I don't think it still would matter to the general public. Right. When you say uh, I mean, right, general, you know, I'm not necessarily it, saying general public, but I'm saying like, I do. Th- I mean, do you agree with me that it'll if that's what happens, it'll probably land stronger with the average person that is paying attention to this than the initial story did. Um, I don't think it really matters. And will it get covered? Yes, it will get covered. But there's so much other stuff going on that is far more important. Yeah than this yes you know and that's a whole other thing too and it all depends on timing it all depends on timing as we talked about you know if it comes out on a day that you know it's it could have a chance to be a a a decent story and then something else happens that day to completely knocks it off the, the radar then yeah you know there's that too yeah so i don't know i mean but again it no matter what it's wrestling, and it's only going to resonate for so long. But like I said, you would ha- it would have to affect the TV networks and or advertisers. 
that's when it, that's when you have to have something change. And I only then I mentioned that too because um, the day the Wall Street Journal story came out, I will I won't say who, but there was a big name woman wrestler who I talked to. And when I sent her the article, her response was basically a paralegal. People aren't going to, you know, this isn't going to change anything. No. Because she didn't think it would land with the average person who might care because it was an anonymous office person. Do you get what I'm saying? And and not just that, Vix. It's like I said, it's like I said, too, it's not... It's not rape. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, we should it's, say, though, we should say, we don't actually know what the full allegations were. We know that she was scared and got a huge payoff, and the only person that's saying, the only side that's, that's actually talking is Vince's side, which is saying it was consensual. But it's like, we don't actually know entirely what she alleged. We should probably make that clear. I, guess, I mean, yeah, yeah, but... Will we ever? Will we ever know? We don't know, because I mean, she she took a payoff, so she probably will never say anything about it. Yeah, but we'll see. So, but but that but that means as well, you know, taking a payoff. I mean, that's it's a totally different story. But you know what, though. Also, we need to remember, though, at this point, the way the story is now, I don't think they could risk going after her for breaking the NDA, as far as optics. So, we'll see. I mean, at this point, I think the board probably also has to talk to her. So, who knows? But anyway, let's go back to 1992 now. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how this is going to. Uh, how this is going to go? And and the thing about that Rita Chatterton story, real quick, that got me was her telling the story about Andre's funeral and Vince going up to her and said, "Who are you?" Oh, it was nice to meet you. I think. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and she just said, "Fuck you." And walked away. Pretty, I, I believe yeah. was the way it was relayed. All right, from in this corner, and in this corner, letters page for Earth Spotlight. Your interview with Lee Cole on the May twenty fourth uh, Pearl Spotlight Radio Show was most interesting. You did a great job of getting him to express his feelings by not saying anything he shouldn't have on the show. I also sense that you were somewhat a little at ease with the interview due to a sensitive nature. In my opinion, this actually added to the impact of the interview, showing how all this crack has affected the personal lives of the individuals involved. The estrangement going on between Lee and his brother Tom, the XWF Marine Boy, is a truly human tragedy. However, I must say that Murray Hodgson, although his story sounds true, comes across as somewhat of a smoothie. The Pro Spotlight consists, continues to bring the listeners a perspective on pro wrestling as a business as well as a sport, which is not found anywhere else. I hope you continue to gain support from the sponsors. And the fans say that you can keep up the good work. Signed, Pete Theopal, Eatontown, New Jersey. That would be a longtime wrestling chatterbox contributor, Pete Theopal. Yeah. And yeah, the main reason I included this uh, was the comment about Murray Hodgson. A smoothie. Yeah. A smoothie. Whatever that means. A, a smoothie who uh, was propositioned by your vice president. <laughs> yes. Excerpts from Pot Shots by Bill Kunkel for her spotlight. Yes, we close. Isn't it ironic that isn't ironic that Vince had been saved from total media escalation by the very fact that his organization so incredibly scandal ridden? 
The press, which knows diddly about the business in the first place, has actually gotten lost in the sleazy maze. A perfect example is Donahue's show, whereas when most of these shows ask Geraldo why the Tom Cole segment was a show at Odell can be told, for example, the producers were either out slickered by Titan's high-powered lawyers or simply couldn't see the forest for the trees. The show was trying to create the impression it would be dealing with the boy set scandal, which Phil Mushing in particular had been pounding home in the New York Post. Yet the issue never really came up, and if it had, anyone had mentioned Tom Cole's name, Vince had a skit ready to run away, which would have diffused it. No, once again, the bit process became bogged down by Billy Graham doing a steroid song and dance. Bruno's bitterness at the business has sickly epitomized by the million-dollar McMahon has passed him by. Murray's slick sexual harassment number. Questions to Barry Orton about wrestling's casting couch. And the fact that wrestlers' fundamental ability to get grievances resolved fairly. Now, most of these are legitimate issues. And they deserve discussion, but they pale beside the primary question, which was barely touched on. Did, in fact, the WF operate a child recruitment operation in Mel Phillips and not only violated child labor laws, but was in actuality a pederastic brothel for the entertainment of top Titan executives? When you come right down to it, folks, the story of the so-called cream team is the only issue. And it's ironic and sickening and not a small suspicion that attempted to tell the story of Russell's great sickness that so many slick tabloid and even better quality TV shows got so totally tongue-tied. But Insta Karma's going to get you, Vince. Going to knock you right on the head. Speaking of which, has anyone else noticed that WF is digging through their old tape files? In the past two weeks, I write this material from September of October 91 in order to show matches being ringing us by Mel Phillips. If anybody asks Steve to see Planamena, we'll look all innocent and say, but they're old tapes, honest. So why are you showing them? Is it really that important that we see Tito Santana pretend to be a matador fighting Paul Diamond, pretend to be a, a masked Japanese? And if nobody asks, then we have an open invitation to bring this character who wasn't employed by Titan, according to a man, but who worked steadily for them for over two decades, back to the world of ring boys and the happy sound of their little feet paddling over arena floors. Here's the thing that I keep coming back to. Vince defends himself with an intriguing line of thought when he is a practicing character assassination. Why would any sane man in my position, i.e. running a multi-million dollar corporation, allow such scandalous goings-on if I knew about them? My response is, if you don't think Vince knew everything that went down in his offices, you're living on another planet. The TV announcers made constant joking references to Patterson and Garvin's activities, and even so far back as the mid-70s when I was covering the promotion run by Vince's father. I heard so many stories about Mel Phillips, who in those days uh, vibe with Professor Elliot Marin for the job of taking the wrestlers' rose back to the dressing rooms, that I warned more than one kid, a young kid about him, just in case. So once you accept that Vince had to know, I read his question. Why would any sane man allow this to happen? The answer, I'll leave to your imagination. Yeah? Bill Kunkel is one of the best wrestling writers that no one remembers, if not the best. Yeah. You know, you know, Best known, I guess, as a uh, computer games journalist and other work he did in that field. But, I mean, here you go. Here we have another person just outright saying, oh, yeah, Mel Phillips was like this in the 70s. And it was well known. It was something that people knew. Mm -hmm. You know? But the thing is, it, it yeah, people knew it, but they also joked about it. They sent, a lot of these same people that are... Talking about it here as we're doing this story would make Mel Phillips jokes. So, you know, not all, but I get what you're saying. There are people who would have done that. Uh, I, 
I'm pretty damn sure I've read the old observers where Dave would joke about Mel Phillips feet. Okay, here's the thing with that, and I'm not defending it. We know there were stories of him going after adult men's feet. We don't know yeah, but what certain people heard. Well, all I'll say about that. Well, if so many people know what was going on, oh, no, I agree. I agree. I agree broadly, but I just wanted to put that out there because I don't want to feel like I'm accusing anyone specific of that. But I get what you're saying. Well, every, everybody was doing it. Everybody was making Mel Phillips jokes about feet. Yes. I mean, it's just the way it was. Yeah. Um. I mean. Case in point, I just pulled up, and this is after the whole hiring, you know, firing and rehiring thing, hang, blah, firing and rehiring him thing for the record. This is from the uh, December 4th, 89 prime time. I believe it's right at the end of the episode, and I'm not going to bother screen sharing it because you don't really need to. Another blockbuster of a match that's on for next week you won't want to miss is Hillbilly taking on the Genius. What a matchup that's going to be. You know, if the Genius had an IQ of three, he'd be four ahead of Hillbilly. You know, as Mel Phillips would say, that match will knock your socks off. That's going to that's gonna be a <laughs> yeah. knockdown drag. Yeah, I remember that well. <laughs> Heenan laughing. Yeah. Um, I mean... Yeah, so as far as... Uh, as far as the other stuff Kunkel talks about, though, you know... Well, it, I mean, it's a gorilla. I mean, good Lord, Terry Garman School self-defense. How many times right, we heard right, that? Right. You know? But what I was going to say, though, um, he's right. There is no reason to show Mel Phillips announce, doing ring announcing on those matches, especially on Primetime. If you want to show the matches, cut the ring intros and stuff out. If you actually care about how you look in this time with the scandals going on, you would... If you felt like you needed to show those matches for whatever reason, just cut the intros. I mean, they're they're obviously poking the bear. Now, you know. Here's the thing: do you do you think there was any intent of bringing him back at any point? Or no, no, I don't. Then what's the to poke the bear? You think to it's just, to just keep being an asshole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I think that's fair. Um. So the thing is, though, who's but here's here's the thing. I don't know for sure if that's Vince making that call, or if that's a Kevin Dunn or production. Whoever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So yeah. So all right, let me. All right, so so that aired on prime time. All right, during the weeks that we're talking about here. All right, so I'm gonna pull up prime time as far as those matches. Okay. And just, and just see. Oh, see what else they were uh, airing, too? Yeah. Alright. Um, okay. It's interesting because on these primetime listings, I'm not seeing a lot for 1991 and 1992. And at least at this point in time. Yeah, I am pulling it up now. I see a Bushwhackers match from Utica from November 11th, which aired on the June the 8th. Prime time. Okay, Davey, Davey Boy and the Mountie from June 11th on uh, the May 25th prime time. Uh, um, June 8th had Doug, a Bushwhackers TV yeah, match. That. Okay, sorry. I'm I already said you that. say that somehow. Um, uh, Duggan and Mustafa from September 10th in Cornwall, Ontario on May 25th. Um, 
Tito Santana Cato from Utica. Okay, so that Utica taping had yeah had DiBiase and Snuka. DiBiase and Snuka from October. I mean, from September 9th. Also, but you know what though? I mean, that's something they did because in doing results, I'll see. uh, Oh yeah. I'll see matches for some of these garden shows and stuff like that, that they would, they would air on prime time sometimes over a year after they originally happened oh, and be treated a, as, and, and be treated as matches that are, you know, are current. There was a period in 87 where they were airing stuff that was two years old and acting like it was new, even though it was obviously old, including matches that had aired previously on prime time. The one that sticks out is, you know, Brett dynamite from the cap center. Yeah. So, <sighs> I don't think I would read too much in the prime time. I really don't. But in you that know, era, they were doing because it's prime matches, time. But they would air matches where they cut the intros too. That's the thing. Well, that's the thing. Did they cut the intros? It seems like they're saying they did not. So, all right. So let me see. What episode? What week is that prime time? The one with Kato. May May eighteenth. May eighteenth. Is that what it is? May eighteenth. Uh, let me look again. Real yeah. Quick. Okay. Monsoon Classic has that matchup, and it's the primetime version. All right, I'm gonna send you the link. So we're gonna watch. We're gonna watch the beginning of this. Okay. Is this from Classics it's, on it's Demand? Du- it's from Monsoon Classic. No, I mean, is the, where is it ripped from? As far as USA Network. Prime time. Okay, I see. Oh, it has a primetime logo. Okay. I see the thumbnail now. Uh, it's the commentary is redubbed already. I can tell from listening to it when I just looked at the beginning of it. Okay. Well, that's just the commentary, though. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. But this is still this is still and, what we were looking for. So. Well, here's the thing. You, I right, well, is it going to show up? I see the little thing circling around. Uh, let me do it again because I thought I did. Now it should be. Is it sharing it? No. Nope. Well, let's just go with the audio then, because I don't want to have to figure this out. All right. of Mr. Fuji Kato, one half of the Orient Express. As we take you back to Utica, New York, Gorilla Monsoon, along with his lordship, Alfred Hayes. I mean, you can hear and see him. They never show Mel well, Phillips. tremendous so matchup involving, of course, Kato you see him and El Matador. Very Wait to hear the ovation, Alfred, for Tito. Yes. And I like that music. It's certainly suspenseful, is it not? Okay, let me see how this looks once. I mean, yeah, you can hear it. Right yourself, Tito. I like it. <laughs> He's a very fine-looking young man, El Matador. Okay, I am curious if this had aired anywhere else previously because there are some edits that make it look like they re-edited this. You know. All right. Well, we're gonna find out. Uh, did they air the same match twice? Because Monsoon Classic also has it airing June 22nd. It can't be the same match. Uh, Let me see. I'm looking now. No. The other one has Mike McGurk. Okay. Alright, so... This was taped at that September taping, right? Was it September? I think he said that, yeah. November. November. November 1191. Alright, so... What are you looking... Oh, you're looking for other stuff from that taping. Yeah. 
okay, it was only for it was only a primetime t- match. They that was where they taped Survivor Series Showdown. So they take they taped Survivor Series Showdown and then taped had a, and had other matches taped for primetime and dark matches. Interesting. I didn't I didn't yeah. realize they didn't exclusive taping for that. I mean, you know what I mean? A USA Network content exclusive taping or whatever. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Huh. Okay, that also explains so that, Mel Phillips' ring announcer, to a point. Uh-uh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, well, I mean... Yeah, there was one other thing I wanted to mention here, which, you know, covers a lot of this column here, is uh, the signal-to-roid... No, the signal... I almost said signal-to-roids ratio. Signal-to-noise ratio saving Vince, because... You know, the obvious comparison, I forget if we talked about this before, is all the Trump stuff that didn't land and even that didn't really get covered in 2016. Because there was just so much, and even during the presidency. And I'm not trying to make this political or anything, but, you know, I think we can agree, regardless, there was a lot of stuff. And here, there's so much different stuff, some related, some unrelated. It does make it easier to lose details. I mean... Like I tweeted today, Rita Chatterton's allegations never got covered in print media, aside from the Penthouse article in 92. No one's picking up what's on Geraldo's shows. So, you know, there's that, then there's all the others, like there's the Ring Boy stuff, there's the steroids, there's Patterson and Garvin, there, there's all these different things, some are tied together, some not. And it's so dense, especially like when I've tried to reconstruct some of this stuff, like you always, I mean, look, we see this here. There's always little things you're missing that are important. It's, if we had, if had a focused ring boy scandal that broke on its own, I do think things go at least somewhat differently. You know what I mean? Maybe. I can't say how much, but I think there would be a difference. But all Maybe. this stuff at the same Maybe. time. Maybe. Also, we have someone else calling Murray Slick. Well, people are noticing. Um, but yeah, and also not the last time we are going to hear from Bill Kunkel in this series in one of the uh, other newsletters, because I don't know what part it'll be in, but there's a uh, there's a column he writes in Three Count that, you know, kudos to Alex for giving him the space, where it's the first and maybe I think the only time that we hear about the legal threats that WWF makes against Alex Marvez and Alex, and also the New York Times when he was interning there and all that. So we'll be hearing more from Bill Conkle as this goes on. But that's it, though, for uh, part three of Titan Gate. Part three of who knows how many. I Because mean, the thing is, we're getting into the period where it's less week-to-week breaking stuff. So whether this will be... You know, whether part four is the last, whether there will end up being five, I don't really know yet. But it's hard well, to I mean, we're gonna we're gonna go to November, so we'll no, see. No, I know that's what that's what we decided. We're going through a bulldog and warrior getting fired. So, so however that goes, so we'll see how that is. Well, that's it for show number sixty nine. Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. Special niche shows doing all the research, and it's Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Yeah.